0: Welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I am here with Jason. Hey, everyone. What's up, my guy? Yeah, doing all right. Getting by. Yeah, cool. How about yourself? I'm all right. I I bought new headphones for the first time in a while.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. But you're not wearing them now. Are they like headphones for potting or just for like... Just for
0: everyday listening. Okay.
1: You haven't tried them yet?
0: Uh, if it says how outdated I am, I've never had a pair of, like, Bluetooth headphones. So. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. Join in the modern age. Yeah, even
1: I have the, uh, you know, Airbud things. Yeah. <coughs> wow. Well, um, oh. Let me know okay. what you think.
2: Sure. <laughs> yeah.
1: Maybe they'll want to sponsor us, you know. You know, uh, know. I doubt
0: it. <laughs> um, they're actually made by Orange Amplifiers, like the music gear company. Okay, yeah, cool. So, yeah. uh, good. Uh, shout out to them. They're, like, my favorite uh, amp company. Oh, yeah, definitely. It comes to music, but... Every stoner band has to have an orange amp, yeah. you know? It's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> today, we were starting a new block all about slashers. Slasher films. And back back to horror. Dangerously started us out with the film Muck from 2015. Mm-hmm. Directed by Steve Olsh, which we'll get all into and in all kinds of crazy stories about its production because this film had a Kickstarter to help finish its production.
1: Okay. I'm anxious to hear that story because I actually don't know anything about it.
0: Good. You'll you get the raw reaction of Jason. And, <laughs> um, oh, you're going to get some reaction from Jason. <laughs> I think this film elicits reactions. That's part of its mm-hmm. part of its goal. But before all of that, we're going to do all our usual stuff. Talk about what we've been watching, this and that. There's a little movie we need to talk about probably, Super Mario Brothers. You know it's coming. <laughs> we do? One we, of us we got it. We need to talk about it? I've got it if you don't. It's okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but first, we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it. And there's all kinds of awesome shows you can go listen to to fill your ear holes with.
1: Once you're done listening to all of ours, yes, the vast hours of entertainment we have provided if, you.
0: For some reason, you want to be a Prescribed Films diehard. They even have a special like RSS link thingy that you can use that just serves you all the shows on the network. Nice, which is awesome if you just need constant listening to. Fill your ear holes with. Good content about movies and media and Mm -hmm. other fun stuff. So go check that out, as always. Now, Jason, what have you been watching?
1: Okay. I finally got around to watching one that had eluded me for some reason for a while. Okay. Perhaps because it is um, superhero related. Uh Uh-oh. And I was feeling burnt out on all that. Uh, But you know what? I'm glad I went back and watched it because I finally went and watched Brightburn. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The uh, From 2019. Evil Superman. About the evil kid Superman, mm-hmm. yeah. And you know what? I kind of loved it. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought it was really fun. Hmm. I didn't expect that level of gore that the movie has. Yeah. I didn't expect that dark of a tone or a dark ending like it had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was pretty surprised by those. Uh, it's not a perfect movie by any means. Yeah, yeah. Um, because it's obvious that the kid's being influenced by his alien heritage. Mm-hmm. And I think it would have been a lot more interesting if he just discovered these powers and then just naturally started acting evil. Mm-hmm. Like a you know 12-year-old probably would if he had Superman powers.
0: Kind of like uh, Chronicle.
1: Uh, yes, right, right. But, you know, having said that, I-, I thought it was pretty effective. I thought it was mm-hmm. a fun movie.
0: See, I've never watched it just because I was like, I don't really need to see Superman's origin again. And it, I it, think you should check it out. You that, might be but... pleasantly surprised like hmm.
1: I was. Okay. Well, where did you watch it? Um, I watched it on Showtime, actually. Oh,
0: weird. Okay. Yeah, I got Showtime right now because Yellow Jackets.
1: Oh, okay. Shout out to Yellow Jackets. It's really
0: good. <laughs> check it out. Definitely for the uh, genre fans out oh, there. Oh, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Cool. Um. But yeah, that's what I was watching recently. How about yourself?
0: So you think Showtime's going to keep their name? Because I know HBO Max is going. Oh God, who knows? Going to just Max now. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why they're
1: dropping HBO. That's like, that's what it's they're been HBO known for why, yeah.
0: forty fucking years or something. You know. <laughs> uh. Well, here's what I've got: the Super Mario Brothers movie. Okay. Um. Though I do want to cycle back real quick to last episode. hmm Uh. We recorded that like going into the second weekend for the D and D movie. And you said you thought it was going to have a pretty big drop-off.
1: Oh, yeah. I meant to now, this up,
0: too. let's go back over that, because I think you had the number. What was it, like, 60% drop? I, I said
1: it's going to be at least 50, but I predict 60. Mm-hmm. And what did we get? A 61%. <laughs> yeah. That, by any metric, that is harsh. That yeah. is fucking harsh. Even horror <sighs> films don't usually
0: fall that hard. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason it had such a drop-off is because that weekend... The Super Mario Brothers movie came
1: out. That's part of the reason, but also I will posit that perhaps there's only a finite number of people who are going to go see a D&D movie, mm-hmm. and they did the first weekend, you know. I could see that too, so yeah. It doesn't have the mass appeal Hasbro wants it to. It's mm-hmm. still extremely niche, and there's no way it's going to make back its budget, so. Sad times. But I think Mario <laughs> uh, movie did make back its budget, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it had like
0: what, one of the best opening weekends, I think, for an animated feature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was Some ranking number, I didn't bother to write it down. But um, So what to say about this movie? Um, being hailed by many as the greatest video game adaptation ever made. Okay. Uh, I'm here to tell you that that's wrong and not true. <laughs> well, um, it is. Jeez, I don't know. Okay, I, I thought, thought you I had like... like Something in here, head. Not off the top of my head, you know. Okay. I, right. I'll tell you, it's not the Street Fighter movie, but that one's fucking awesome. <laughs> uh, it's not Mortal Kombat, but that's pretty fun, too. That's mm-hmm. uh, Battleship, isn't it? No. <laughs> I try to forget that exists. No, so, yeah, you know, it's, it's the Mario Brothers. Um, it, it's very faithful to the, like, idea of the game, the plot of the games. Um, tons of Easter eggs. Like, so many Easter eggs, just, like, overwhelming amounts of Easter eggs. They're going deep cuts like they got references to the Wrecking Crew. Do you even know what that is, Jason? Probably not. I bet. Um.
1: <laughs> wow. You say that like I'm some sort of a infidel for not knowing. I mean, it. this
0: is obscure. This is obscure Nintendo I don't, lore. I have no idea. Right. So the first game that Mario ever appeared in was called Wrecking Crew, and it was he was working for a construction company, and it was like an arcade game where you had to tear down like buildings. Okay. And in that, their boss is called Spike. So Spike is a character in this movie, and they posit that they were originally working for him on his construction company, and then left to start their own plumbing business. Okay. So the very lore of all the games is like super steeped in this, and I I did appreciate it for that. Um, However, mm-hmm. everything looks right, everything sounds right, all the lore's on point, it's super cool, it's super fun, but there was just something about it, you know, like... I found myself like none of the jokes really like hit hard, and I get on one level it's like a kids movie, right? So sure. it's right. T- technically not made for me, and I understand that. Um, that doesn't mean that you can't still enjoy a kids movie, sure, of course. Um, but you know, like all the comedy, really, just uh, I would smile a little bit or like softly chuckle, but never really made me like truly and sincerely laugh an enjoyable amount of like ah. <laughs> okay. That's similar um, to
1: my reaction to the D and D movie.
0: Whereas, by contrast, for me, the D and D movie man, it had to be rolling at some points. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole thing for me. And then I feel like they tried so hard to like push getting all these references in, and there's a lot of like, we got to have all the things from the game. So it's like they have a, the Mario Kart segment, which is in the trailer where they're all in the carts driving on Rainbow Road. Mm-hmm. They've got like the Smash Brothers segment where there's like a arena fight in a crazy arena with Donkey Kong. Sure. Um, they're kind of setting up Donkey Kong Country because they reference him and all his friends from those games. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a little tidbit where they kind of set up like a Luigi's Mansion thing where they have Luigi by himself being scared. Uh-huh. Um, it it kind of felt like the sin of a lot of like cinematic universe things where they're trying to set up so True. many things that the movie itself isn't really a movie. It's just a bunch of like references, yeah. and they're
1: too worried about the next three films. Yeah, and yeah. I don't
0: know what their plans are with this. There's a lot of like fan talk about like, oh, what if they make like a Nintendo animated cinematic universe, and they do like, oh, the they do a Zelda movie and they do a Metroid movie, and then eventually they do like a Smash Brothers movie and mm-hmm. bring them all together. Oh, Metroid would be cool. That would be cool. It would be fun. Um, <laughs> I assume they plan for at least a sequel to this because it did do well. Oh, I'm sure. And there's a little teaser at the end after the credits that kind of sets up another film if they want to go that way uh but yeah it was just it was very average to me i guess is what i'm trying to say and like safe and average safe average um and at times like i wanted more of like i don't know the flavor of the games in a way of like it didn't feel like a big adventure like every mario game is like this big adventure like a quest you're going on to do something Mm -hmm. and i mean they did they were going to try to stop bowser which that's like the core of every mario game sure but It just didn't ever have that, like, scope to it Mm. in a way almost. And it seemed very, like, point A, point B, point C. Okay, we're done. story's resolved. And then some of it, too, like, choices they made. Like, I get they wanted to have, like, Princess Peach not just be, like, the damsel in distress. Sure. Which they've gone a long way in the games to already, like, refuting that because she's had her own game. She's been, like, playable in some games and has been, like, you know, had her own agency. And she's not just Mm -hmm. there to be captured, which is cool. Mm Um. But they focused on that a lot, and to, like, make that work, they had Luigi be the one that gets captured, right? And so the film is the Mario Brothers, but for, like, 75% of the film, they're separated. Mm. And you're not, that's, 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 like, never there until, like, right at the end for the final little segment. Okay, yeah. And it's weird, because, like, they had good chemistry together, so then it's like, you want more of that, but it's not there, so...
1: Is this better than the live-action Mario oh, Brothers movie? <laughs> easily and handily. Now I will say,
0: I like that live-action movie only as like a, the fact that it exists the way that it exists, and it's so fucking weird. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it for that, but no, it's a terrible movie. It's in a terrible adaptation of the property. Um, But it is funny because this one even kind of gets like to that vibe a little bit because it has the whole, like, they're doing the plumbing thing. And then they find the pipe that takes them to the Mushroom Kingdom, which that's like been you know that was in the old like TV show from the 80s. Oh yeah, that's right. Which they also reference because they have the theme song as their like commercial for their business. Okay. Um. So I don't know. It's it's a modern cinematic y kind of movie where there's lots of references, lots of setup. Mm hmm Uh, the film itself's a little lean, I thought. So there we go. Oh well.
2: Crush
0: crush your dreams about the Mario movie. Too bad. It's a good thing I had no dog in that fight. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all the performances are great. I know everyone was like, oh my God, Chris Pratt as Mario is dumb. And mm-hmm. he was fine.
1: Was he as good as Pedro Pascal? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, who is? <laughs> true, true. Um, but real standouts like Anya Taylor-Joy as Princess Peach, she was amazing. Oh, she's always amazing. Um, she kills it at everything she does, so mm-hmm. it's no wonder yeah, that's that not surprising. voice acting too. She's that's like sleepwalking for her. Man. On point. Um, Jack Black as Bowser, he really embodied the character well, okay. I thought, yeah. um, and just like playing up both like his ferocity, but also the comedicness of the fact that he is this like badass conqueror, but also is kind of lame at times. Right. So uh, he was perfect to play that, I think.
1: Cool. Oh well, I'm sorry
0: it was disappointing. <laughs> and for everyone that is still mad about the whole voice acting thing. Uh, Charles Martinet, the actual voice of Mario from the games, he is in the film. He has like a little cameo at the start, and then he voices uh, Mario and Luigi's dad. You see, it's, so, why didn't
1: they just cast him? Do, do animated film Does it really matter who voices <laughs> characters in animated films for that many people? I mean, is that a big draw? Is that going to make people decide, oh, Chris
0: Pratt is a voice in here? I'm going to go see it. Does that yeah, I really know.
1: fucking matter?
0: Um, I don't know. It is interesting because, like, in the. The Sonic movie, the voice for Sonic is like the current dude who was doing the voice in the games. Mm -hmm. So that felt very, like, natural. So I don't know. Um, But I will say, I think in one way, I think, like, the actual guy that voices Mario, I don't know if that would work in a film, talking that way for a full, like, 90 minutes. Might get a little annoying. (laughs) Yeah, a little bit. So I think that was maybe their logic. I mean, sure, they wanted star power, of course, course, but um
1: you gotta pay some people way too much money to say a few lines to microphone. yeah i can as see well the... we do it for free <laughs>
0: for some reason yeah <laughs> we're doing something wrong here yeah um but i can see the logic for saying like yeah we don't think his voice would work for a whole film so let's go a little more conventional um i can see an argument for that point hmm. is it good or bad i don't know that's up for every person to decide no oh. there you go
1: so let us know what you thought
0: yes speak model. to us about this children's film that i've spent <laughs> way too long discussing oh and then of course the animation and stuff it all it'll all look great well sure so i mean that's a given these days um that company i forget their name it's like Illuma, it's illumination yeah i mean yeah. they're they're good with everything they do so yeah there you go all right So today, we are talking about Muck from 2015, directed by Stephen Walsh.
1: Indeed we are.
0: A slasher film. It is a slasher film. It is. I'll give you that much. It is a slasher film. (laughs) I got the ball across the plate, everyone. (laughs) Good job. Uh, I didn't pick Wishmaster. I thought about it, considered it. I said, you know, is this a slasher? Is it a slasher? slasher. Hmm.
1: Sometimes I wonder if A Nightmare
0: on Elm Street is a slasher. Yeah, but there was a lot of stalking and... Yeah, it has a lot of those slasher
1: yeah. tropes, which I have a feeling we're about to go into. We
0: are, because, as you know, if it's a new block and we've never covered it before, we gotta talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Um, I think most
1: people kind of know what a slasher is, right. but I think there's some important points to talk about too.
0: You know, I like uh, Stan Lee a lot. Rest in peace. Sure. And he had this whole idea for Marvel that uh, you know every issue is somebody's first issue. Mm-hmm. So even if you're you're deep in and you got a lot going on, it should still onboard new people so that's absolutely if you are a slasher film die hard and you're like oh my god these guys are about to bore us for like the next 40 minutes
1: it won't be that long
0: yeah maybe probably (laughs) but uh you know indulge us because there's someone out there that maybe isn't as steeped in this and this could be a resource to them to find more films sure that's kind of why we do this absolutely plus it's just fun to talk about so i guess where we start is jason what is a slasher film okay The major component, I think, for a slasher film
1: is that there must be a slasher. (laughs) You've got to have murders, you know? And usually the murders are the point of the movie. Mm -hmm. Now, we're watching it for the kills. Right. Now, if you're lucky, you've got a really well-made movie that might have some suspense and and is shot well and is done great, (laughs) that will ratchet up the tension, like like Halloween. Mm -hmm. Because if you're talking about the perfect slasher film, I think Halloween is that template, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone Mm -hmm. goes to that. Very influential. Although not really the first slasher film, but we'll probably talk about that too in a minute. If I got a whole segment about the history here to nice, go through. Nice. So. Nice. Um, so there's got to be kills, and usually most slasher films have a mystery element. Not all of them, mm-hmm. but most of them. Like you don't know who the killer is,
0: which may owe to some of their Giallo heritage. Exactly. Which is another thing we'll get into. Yes. So also, I have the fancy by the book definition. Okay, dude. do. I'm it. rattle this on you. It's a genre of horror films that involve a killer stalking and murdering a group of people, usually by the use of bladed or sharp tools like a knife, a chainsaw, a scalpel, etc.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Although sometimes it's informally used as a generic term for any horror film involving murder, a lot of film analysts would say that there's an established set of characteristics that make a slasher film be a slasher film that would set it apart to any other horror film that would also happen to have killings in it. Comparing, say, like, talk about a slasher film compared to just a monster movie. Or, like, a slasher film compared to a splatter film. Right. Okay. We're good with that, I think. Yeah, sure. Yep.
1: Well, when you say a splatter film, you're talking about stuff like the old Herschel Gordon-Lewis mm-hmm. movies from the 60s, right? Yes. Where it's all just about blood
0: and... Yes. Yeah. Um. So let's talk a little bit about that formula, because we said there's characteristics to it, so... Here's a lot of the typical key points to this kind of formula. There's often a past wrongful action that causes severe trauma that is reinforced by a commemoration or anniversary that reactivates or re-inspires killing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's built around a series of stalk and murder sequences. Um, the film will often draw upon the audience's feelings of catharsis, uh, recreation, and displacement as related to sexual pleasure. Mm-hmm. Key point for a lot of slashers for sure. Um uh, maybe this film. <laughs> maybe. Um and I pulled a quote from Paste Magazine. So this was them talking of the genre. Um slasher villains are human beings or were human beings at some point. Slasher villains are human killers whose actions are objectively evil because they're meant to be bound by human morality. That's part of the fear that the genre is meant to prey upon. The idea that killers walk among us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important distinction to have because there are films that exist that have a very similar structure to a slasher film, but your primary killer is non-human You can look at something like Alien or even the Terminator right if you're just looking to check off stuff on a list those can check like all the boxes or wishmaster <laughs> <laughs> or wishmaster apparently um but they're they're missing like you know oh just that one little part I think mm-hmm. to be the whole whole shebang right. Which I guess is how Freddy slides in because he used to be human. Yeah. yeah. No, and there, there is that sort of like past tragedy wrong occurrence. Right.
1: And I, I love the, the idea about the whole past tragedy or, or a specific event coming up that triggers the killing, which is why we got so many holiday themed ones. Right. We got Halloween. We got Graduation Day. We got.
0: Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, April obviously. Fools. April Fools, yeah. yeah. New Year's Evil. <laughs> And you know, Muck is uh, set on St. Patrick's Day. So. I noticed
1: that as I was watching it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so this one is playing up to that too. The other, but I don't
1: think that the holiday is an inciting event. There wasn't someone who was scarred on a St. Patrick's Day because they had to dress up like a leprechaun or something, and now they're <laughs> going to get revenge.
0: Fair enough. <laughs> I think it was just the Constance. Um, you know, My Bloody Valentine, that's another good one. Oh, I yeah. love that one. Yeah. Right, right. Um, so then the other key aspect, I think, is what's called the final girl trope. Which I'm sure we all know, but this is the idea that you have a a young woman who is sort of the final survivor of the film, left alone to face the killer's advances, and resolve the plot. Mm -hmm. Laurie Strode being the preeminent example. Mm -hmm. And then often, but not always, coupled in with this, the final girl will be sort of the virgin among the group, or be more virginal in quality. Right.
1: That's when you get into the fable aspect of slasher films. They're very puritanical in their way. Often, yes. And it's very much It's very much a fable. It's like a fairy tale. You know, it's like you do these bad things, and bad things are going to happen to you.
0: you know? mm-hmm. um, and then I think the last top-level thing before we go deeper. Um, also, a lot of slasher films that had sequels and became a whole franchise, for their franchises, the villain often would take on a protagonistic oh, yeah. sort of element. They become the antihero. Yeah. Um, where the series is often more about the exploits of the villain and going after their victims than actually the story of the victims themselves. Yeah. And that's embodied by all, all our favorite big guys, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, Chucky, Leatherface. Yeah, um, you don't care about the victims anymore. Right. You're it's, in it purely for the kills and for the... It's the ongoing saga of what's going on. How, yeah. did, how did Jason come back this time? What's he up to? Right. What, what, what roused him from the leak this time? It's also
1: interesting because I typically don't like to throw a lot of supernatural movies into the slasher um, you know, tr- uh, genre. Mm-hmm. But they all tend to eventually go into a supernatural right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, area eventually just to just yeah, because to justify I'm, their own existence.
0: Unfortunately, you have to keep it going. And how can you keep kicking the can at yeah. some point? All right. At some point, they're so definitively dead. There's nowhere else to go. Yeah. And,
1: you gotta bring him back to life for the lightning bolt. You know.
0: Raise him from the dead as a zombie, mm-hmm. or there's an evil girl with psychic uh, powers has to fight on. Yeah, or a witch cult that is secretly masterminding everything. <laughs> oh, you mean the thorn. Yeah. Um but there are exceptions to this, like Scream, which I'm sure we'll have to spend a little bit of time on because it was so Dewey. such a big impact on the whole thing. It but was. That's undeniable. Um, it, rather than focusing on the killer, swings everything around its protagonist, Sidney Prescott. Mm-hmm. Except for this latest one. <laughs> um, but that's its own thing. So Have you seen it? The latest um, one? No, I have not yet. Because well, you're a big Scream guy. I wasn't able to make it out to the theater. My schedule was crazy. Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: And um, I'm sad because it's got Jenna Ortega in oh, it. Oh, yeah. Well, she's, yeah. Much love. Mm-hmm. Keep doing horror films. Absolutely. So yeah, I think top level that's good. So let's go through the history of how we got to these slasher films and maybe along the way we'll learn some stuff. Okay. So if we go like a core thing on this, right, it's about the kills. We said that we sure. set that up. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the appeal of this idea of like we wanna watch violence be inflicted upon people. That goes back thousands and thousands of years. That goes all the way to things like ancient Rome. You've got the Colosseum, gladiatorial yeah. fights. Your real life tortures right. and horrors and things like that. Um, that was entertainment. and Yep. <sighs> there you go. And then over time, those became more fictionalized accounts, and they became very marketable. You've got stuff like in the late 19th century, you had the Grand Guignol horror-type plays... Which leaned into all of that bloody death. Yeah, just... I've got a
1: book about the, on the Grand Guignol somewhere over there. It's very interesting. It's mm. very
0: cool. It's basically horror films done as stage plays. Yeah, before. it was all about torture. Yeah. It was very gothic and yeah. Um, let's see. Um, and then some people, when films began to be a thing, they kind of leaned into that appeal to try to attract people in. You have stuff like Maurice Tourneur's *The Lunatics* from 1912 which tried to include elements of visceral violence to appeal to that style of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, however, in the United States, due to outcry of films like this, that eventually led to the passage of the Hays Code in the 1930s. Ooh. Which we've talked about in other episodes. Yeah. Um, so that was sort of the first set of industry guidelines that would restrict the use of sexual content and violence that was considered unacceptable. Yeah, it was Hollywood censoring itself, basically. hmm To avoid outrage and controversy. Mm -hmm. Bad guys always had to be punished by the end. Um, Some other early influences, just to lay these out. um, In horror literature, you had the crime writer Mary Roberts Reinhardt. With novels like The Circular Staircase from 1908, which became a silent film, uh, The Bat in 1926. And that was about guests at a remote mansion being menaced by a killer in a strange mask.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So even even back then, like that checks all the boxes, but we don't really even have this conception yet of like a slasher film. Yeah, that's kind of its
1: own sub sub mm-hmm. genre. the old dark house type thing.
0: Well, that's that's where I was exactly where mm-hmm. I was going. I knew you'd be on this. So <laughs> because of a film like that, this became this whole style to do where you have these old dark house films, uh, stuff like *The Cat and the Canary* from 1927, um, *The Old Dark House* from 1932, Classic which I know you well love that movie. film. I do. That's yeah. yeah, great. Um, and they all kind of had the same premise of you have a group of people and they wind up at this strange, mysterious house out in a remote location, and there's a killer among them. And
1: and something interesting, especially with something like the Cat and the Canary, it's like people thought, like in the movie, you think, oh, there's there's ghosts or some sort of spirit, but yeah. by the end, they are always revealed to be human. Mm-hmm. It very Scooby Doo. Yeah, because back <laughs> then you really you couldn't have the supernatural
0: couldn't be real. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't real until Dracula right came out in thirty one. Universal really changed the game at that point. Um, And then to our idea of like a past thing, a lot of these old Dark House style films will kind of have this idea of like the sins of the father where once they unraveled what was going on, it was often like the prior generation was somehow at fault for what led to the killer taking action. It's like Nightmare on Elm Street again. Right. Direct descendant of that. Um, Some other ones that are notable, we have George Archambode's 13 Women from 1932. That tells the story of a sorority whose former members are set against one another by a vengeful peer who goes through crossing out their yearbook photos. And that whole trope got kind of reused both in prom night and graduation day, respectively. Oh yeah, that's a total slasher plot right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, some other early examples of a maniac seeking revenge against a group of people. There's things like the Terror from 1928. And then as we advance forward in time a little bit, we can talk about Val Luton for a moment. Great director. Great director. Um, In his long-reaching hand of influence in film, we've got stuff like The Leopard Man from 1943, which is about a murderer framing his crimes against women on an escaped show leopard. Uh, The Scarlet Claw from 1944, which had Basil Rathbone as Sherlock Holmes. But he's investigating a series of murders that are committed with a five-pronged garden weeder. That The killer would kind of raise up and then menace oh, yeah. his That's victims with classic slasherism, total slasher element. Um, let's see, we have the spiral staircase from 1946, and that had um Ethel Barrymore as a sympathetic woman trying to survive against a black glove killer. Ooh, our inspired, well, yep, got inspiration from that. Um, and Speaking of The Spiral Staircase, that's also one a lot of people point to as like an early example of having jump scares in a film, where there's kind of a fake-out moment mm-hmm. to get a reaction out of the audience. Um, also, in this time, we got to talk about Agatha Christie just a little bit. Yeah, Ten Little Indians. Yep,
1: that's the next one I was going that for. That has inspired so many slasher films. <laughs> I mean, that's Friday the 13th right there.
0: Right. People just getting knocked off one by one. Um, and that even had some of the... Um, I guess some of the like playful elements you've seen in a lot of slashers, like they had the idea of like um, the murders would mirror verses from a nursery rhyme, mm-hmm. and so then you go to something like Nightmare on Elm Street, and you have the little like nursery rhyme song about yeah. Freddy, or also in all the gialli, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, some of the, what am I thinking of? A Deep Red,
1: there's yeah. like a nursery rhyme element in that.
0: Uh, some other ones from this time, you've got things like House of Wax from 1953, classic, The Bad Seed from 1956. Which all kind of drew on the literary influence of Agatha Christie into their filmmaking. So then that brings us closer on to the 60s, where we have to pause for a moment and talk about Psycho.
1: Psycho and one other film I would posit. Okay. Peeping Tom, same year. I had it in my list. Okay. All right. Those are the two big ones. I think without both of those movies, now Psycho is better well known, obviously. Oh, yeah, for sure. But without both
0: of those films, I mean, you've got the blueprint for Slashers right
2: there. Mm-hmm.
0: Psycho changed the game in a lot of ways. And we don't need to get into that too much. You all know Psycho. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. If you don't, <laughs> fucking stop listening go watch Psycho. The original. Um, but, I mean, it's iconic. And even it, its score kind of set the foundation for, like, a lot of Slasher scores. Yeah, those high strings. The high strings, yeah. That. And then, like, those moments where they hit, like, along with the kill. Mm-hmm. Um And then Peeping Tom, just to highlight it, its main thing is it was one of the kind of first in the game to give you that killer perspective. Yep. Where you've got the POV from the killer's eyes as the stalking and the murdering is occurring.
1: And it's also incorporating him making film with the murder. Mm -hmm. It's just dovetail. It's like, (laughs) it works on so many levels. It's just, it's amazing. Amazing movie. If you haven't seen Peeping Tom, for some reason it just doesn't get the love it deserves. Yeah,
0: Circle back for that one for sure. Go watch it. Um, so, Psycho was nominated for four Academy Awards, and it drew a lot of attention to be like, hey, these films can be profitable, and they can be, like, a good vehicle to work in. Mm-hmm. And so, that suddenly made all all the film studios look over and say, hmm, we can do this, too. Yeah, there's money in them, there stairs. Yeah. And, and then we got to, uh, kind of a series of a lot of, like, not quite copycats, but, like, you know, they were riding that coattail, so you've got stuff like... Uh, where they took like bankable movie stars and dropped them into a horror film. So you've got like Joan Crawford and William Castle's *Straight from in 1964. One. Yeah, that's... I love Castle. I've got a weakness for his films. Um, Jim O'Connelly's *Berserk* from 1967. Oh yeah, it has Albert Finney.
1: I met him. He was oh, really? at the hotel I worked at. Yeah. Oh wow, that's really, awesome. Really funny dude, and, and yes, his his drinking is legendary. And I, <laughs> I can attest to the fact that he loved his
0: alcohol. Um, <laughs> you've got uh, *Night Must Fall* from 1964. Um, and then there's Corruption from 1968, which had Peter Cushing. Ooh. The man. Speaking of Cushing, if we hop over to, uh, over the seas there, we've got Hammer Studios. Very prolific during the 60s. And they had their own line of sort of psycho-inspired films, like Taste of Fear from 1961. Uh, Paranoiac from 1963. Nightmare from 1964. A lot of of one-word titles that Mm -hmm. evoke psycho. Yeah. And then Hammer's rival, Amicus. yeah, Amicus. They tapped Robert Block, who wrote the novel for Psycho, mm-hmm. to make the script for Psychopath from 1968. Nice. Um, also in the 60s, we had things like Francis Ford Coppola's debut film, Dementia 13. Great title. Uh, kind of a boring movie. takes place in an Irish castle and kind of channels that old dark house energy. Mm-hmm. Ah, ba buh 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 bu- bu- I think I'm good on all those. So as we're approaching closer and closer to the '80s and the well the '70s and the '80s, which is where the slasher genre really took off. Oh yeah. Uh, what are some of the like subgenres that kind of bleed into this? So we've know giallo. We've talked about that before. There's also Splatter films, which like, we you set up a second ago. Roger Gordon Lewis's
1: Blood Feast.
0: And then Maniacs, uh, things like that. Creepy cr- 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 films. So I wanted to run over those all real quick, super fast, because I know I know where this is long. But mm-hmm. so spider films, their whole thing is it's all focused about gratuitous gore. Yes. And the most iconic representation there is Herschel Gordon Lewis, as you said, with films like Blood Feast, or Color Me Blood Red, Color Blood Red, Two Thousand Maniacs, Wizard of Bruce Gore, and Tosome, Wizard of Gore. Yeah. <laughs> and he had his own copycats like uh, Andy Milligan's The Ghastly Ones. <sighs> Andy Milligan's a hack. I still got to go through that box set. But... <laughs> <laughs> I do want to watch some. Of I'm not those. eager to start it. <laughs> I haven't it. seen them all. Um, so that's that's splatter films. Good, crimmy films. That's a little more obscure. So, uh, post World War II, Germany started this whole spree of adapting British writer Edgar Wallace's crime novels into films, and that's what became the crimmy film. Yep. German movies, right? Yeah, they were released uh, through the fifties and on into the early seventies, and often had villains that were being bold costumes. You kind of have almost this noirish jazz score. Um, and, but at the same time, there was a lot of like slashery, giallo-esque elements. Yeah, they're, and them. they're almost
1: like superheroes, too, in a yeah. lot of ways. They're larger than life. It's um, like Diabolic. No, it's not strictly crimming. It's Italian. Yeah. But Diabolic is a great example of that. It
0: channels that energy.
1: By uh, Mario Bava. Uh,
0: some iconic ones to look for, Fellowship of the Frog from 1959, which had a murder terrorizing London. And then um, there's also The Green Archer from 1961.
1: And creamy films are something I haven't seen a lot of.
0: I'm waiting for when that's like the it thing for all the boutique label companies. Oh yeah, because they've gone through Jolly pretty good. Mm-hmm. Now we're getting a lot of like Hong Kong, yeah. Cat Three stuff. Yeah. So I wonder when that's going to be like everyone starts snatching those up to remaster. Yep. I'm excited for that day. So, um, and then Giallo. I don't think we need to go into that one too deep, just because we did a whole block on it. You can cycle back and listen to that. I think even when we covered it as a genre, we talked about its influence on the slasher. Oh, yeah. I think without Giallo um, films, there would be no slasher films. I think, that, I think that's a very important step in the evolution. A few notable ones I just want to highlight for this connecting point. Uh, Sergio Martino's Torso from 1973. Good movie. So that's got a mass killer preying upon beautiful co-eds. And there's this whole like retribution for past misdeeds angle in it. Mm-hmm. And it has the same thing where it breaks down until you have, at the end, you've got a final girl, and she's in this isolated villa alone with the killer, struggling for survival. Uh, Mario Bava's A Bay of Blood from 1971 has this whole, like, campy lake setting. It, it really could be argued a Bay of Blood is the first slasher. Yeah. A very proto Friday the 13th.
1: Yeah, and the filmmaker
0: said, Oh, we never saw a Bay of Blood. <laughs> Are you sure? Um, but, you know, so through the 70s, Gialli kind of like had a good time. As it got further to the end of the 70s, despite having some successful ones like Deep Red, the appeal for Gialli kind of fell out of fashion. People were looking for something else. So the early 70s saw an increase in exploitation films, tried to lure people in with these sensational moments of sex and violence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, too, have a little... Little hand in like the stew here of the slasher film. Um, you've got stuff like uh, and soon the darkness from nineteen seventy. That's one of those ones where it's very much like a low budget, but they do a lot with it, mm-hmm. which is another hallmark of a slasher film for sure. Um, let's see, fright from nineteen seventy one. That has the whole like babysitter with a man upstairs motif. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a Pete Walker film, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Another
1: uh, filmmaker who I really haven't seen a lot of his stuff.
0: And then by the mid-70s, you had a lot of pushback from certain parties on this whole exploitation film angle. um, Just for their, you know, political incorrectness. Um, And some films ran into a little trouble. You had stuff like The Love Butcher from 75 and The Redeemer, Son of Satan from 76. Which both kind of got uh, accused of promoting bigotry. And there was a lot of controversial uh, discussion over their release. Hmm. Um, amid all of this, though, you have a little film called The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, 1974. I've always had a hard time
1: calling this a slasher. A lot of people do.
0: Mm-hmm. I... I t- I mean, it's
1: definitely an important step towards slasher films. And it definitely mm-hmm. became a slasher franchise. As it went, yeah. But the sure. original definitely needs to be called more of an exploitation film. I think so, too. I than, agree with you on a that. a slasher, that's for sure.
0: Um, But its fame kind of led to its own series of imitators. Because one of the things it did, that a lot of people latched onto, was this whole, it's this is based on a true story. Yeah. Reenacting a true crime. Not to mention also the the uh, concentration on the particular weapon. Mm-hmm. So, that led to stuff like The Town That Dreaded Sundown from 1976, Uh, Another Son of Sam from 77, and then you even have like Wes Craven getting in the game with The Hills Have Eyes from 1977, adapting the whole like Sonny Bean story. Great movie. Classic. Love it. Um... So, also in the 70s, you had a lot of, on this exploitation chain, holiday-themed ones. You had stuff like Holidays from 1972, uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night from 1973, and then a little film called Black Christmas from 74.
1: And this, this is the most important movie we've talked about so far when you're talking about slashers. Yep. This is the first slasher film. For me, this is where it really yep. starts. And, yep. that, and it's, it's odd, this is the same year as Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. And they really couldn't be more different
0: and that's part of why I'll agree with you that I don't think... The first one at least isn't a slasher because it's it's so afield from the formula, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but Black Christmas, I mean, everything
1: is there. Mm-hmm. Everything is there. You've got your your killer. You've got the POV shots. You don't know who he is. It's a mystery. And They do the calling from the house thing. Calling from the house. It's part this, I think that's the first time it was done. And, and it's very effective. And it's still effective. Even if, even if you know what's coming... Oh, yeah. It's so good. It's so well done. And the
0: thing it does, which I think is true of a lot of horror in general, is that the film also kind of gets into a lot of, like, I guess more controversial topics to have discussions about with things like, um, you know, feminism, abortion, alcoholism, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of those topics are embedded in a lot of slashers right. because it's a way to, like, broach those subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, What's well like why we always say, like, horror is great, anyways, is it lets you approach topics that may be hard to talk about. Right. But you can present it to film in a way that can get people thinking. Exactly. And it actually has real characters. Like mm-hmm. all these people are very real. Like yeah. you know, Olivia Hussey, she's a perfect final girl. And that's part of why the deaths in that one like hit so hit mm-hmm. so right because you are invested in the characters. Margot Kidder is really great. Mm. Yeah. Um,
1: John Saxon's in it. I mean, what more do you want out of a slasher <laughs> film? So yeah, if for some reason you're out there and you've never seen Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, mm-hmm. not one of the two remakes that they're, are out they're there. They're all terrible.
0: I'm just going to put that out the there. The trash. Utter <laughs> trash. Go
1: back and watch the original Black
0: Christmas. Um, oh, and you know, Never, too, never, ever has a phone call been so scary. And then, too, at the start, you've got the POV of the killer. Right, Element yeah. 2. Yep. Yeah. Um, however... Despite making uh, about $4 million on a 620000 budget, it was initially very criticized by a lot of the people that were reviewing it. That's um, ridiculous. Variety's review that they ran complained that it was a bloody, senseless, kill-for-kicks flick. And it's not even that gory. That exploited unnecessary violence with no purpose. It's just like Texas Chainsaw. There's barely any blood in these movies which is funny cuz if you go to modern times now like it's considered this important landmark film mm-hmm. in the history of horror so it's funny the the vindication on that but yeah so yeah black black christmas there's definitely I prefer a lot of other slashers to it but you're you're right I think it's the first one it's where we say like this this is a slasher yes boom put yep. the pin in it yep however drawing off of it definitely is an influence we advanced to nineteen seventy eight where we have John Carpenter's Halloween. Yes.
1: And there's also some stories out there that they were wanting to make a sequel to Black Christmas that took place on Halloween mm. and call it Halloween. And interesting and Halloween was originally the babysitter murders. Right. Like it didn't even really have anything to do with Halloween, I think, at first. But they jumped on the whole holiday <laughs> bandwagon. Which was a smart move. And I'm not knocking Halloween, it's fucking classic. You don't yeah. you don't get more classic than Halloween.
0: And so, many people would say uh, you could consider Halloween as sort of the, the start of the, what we'll call, quote, golden age of slasher films. Yep. That ran from about 1978 to 1984. So, during that six years, like, Halloween happened, and then everybody was like, we got to get in this game. Yeah. This is like the ship now. It's so
1: cheap, but they make so much money. We yep. got to do this.
0: It's, just, you're going to be Scrooge McDuck diving into the big pool of <laughs> coins, swimming around. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because most of these films critically got negative reviews. They would, you know, all the papers would come out with their film reviews and they would just trash these movies and just mm-hmm. say, you know, they're worthless. There's nothing good about them. And then you look over at the budget and the box office, though, yep. and they're just raking in money hand over foot. Yeah, they could make them fast enough. And what they learned is that these films were extremely profitable and they established these cult followings of people that are just, you know, dedicated and craving for more. Um, so, so many of these films that followed kind of all use Halloween as their template. You've got, uh, the murderous figure stalking teens. Um, a lot of them tried to build on the film by escalating it. So more gore, more nudity. Yep. Um uh, there's almost always
1: a, a holiday involved, like we <laughs> mentioned before. Yeah.
0: Um, and so I wanted to highlight this because I think it's interesting. So, um... This has been alleged by some film critics. So the election of Ronald Reagan to president kind of brought in this new age of conservatism. And that brought with it a lot of concern on the sort of media that people consumed.
1: Won't someone think of the children?
0: Because right? um, I, I know we've talked about it in prior episodes, but the 80s also had the whole satanic panic thing. Yeah. Of, you know, D&D's evil, heavy metal's evil, everything's evil. the 80s was yeah. such a great time for horror. Um, yeah. And so, during all this, there's all this concern about the violence in the media that we're consuming. At the same time, the slasher film is, like, at the height of its commercial power and at the center of all discussions for film in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, you've got Friday the 13th, first one, Sean S. Cunningham. It becomes this sleeper hit that ends up being the most commercially successful slasher film of that year. Yeah. Uh, it grossed more than 59.7 million and sold nearly 15 million tickets in North America alone. But and its budget was like, what,
1: 200,000, something like that? Yeah. Less?
0: <laughs> it's probably a bit more than that. Crazy. I, think, I think Halloween
1: was around 200,000.
0: And so it's decidedly, any way you want to slice it, it's a huge success. And yet Paramount got all this criticism, basically saying they were lowering themselves yeah. to release these violent exploitation films. Just to get the money. Sure. They're just in it for the money. Um, That's all movies.
1: That's the only reason any movie gets made is for money.
0: (laughs) And then you had uh, certain film critics that really had it in for this genre. Um, Uh, Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. I copied it to go over just because it makes me laugh every time to say it. Uh, Siskel in his Chicago Tribune review of Friday the 13th revealed the identity and the fate of the film's killer in an attempt to hurt its box office. Yeah. And then also provided in the review the address of the chairman of Paramount Pictures so viewers could write in and complain.
1: And Betsy Palmer's address. Yeah. Just
0: ridiculous. How? That, what? <laughs>
1: <laughs> what an asshole. What a fucking asshole.
0: Um, and so uh, there's also criticism of the MPAA for giving Friday the 13th the R rating.
1: And it's so tame now. People, you look at it now and
0: it's yeah, like... People thought it should have been higher, uh, but it's like, really? And then the funny thing is that that film exists and so then the ones that take inspiration from it and go forward, they kick it up another notch and try to go more violent. Yeah. Go gorier.
1: I mean, stuff that came out 10, 12 years before this were gorier and they're held as masterpieces like The Wild Bunch. Yeah. You know, or um, uh, oh, the one with Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway. Help Gosh. me out here. Uh, I see the post Yep. I am not why I'm blanking. Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde, thank you, yes. <laughs> Those were all gore fests, yeah. but it's okay, because it's not a slasher
0: film. Um, so it's funny, because this rising criticism on, like, won't they think of the, the children and everything, <laughs> eventually it was part of the decline of the slasher for a while. Um, and so as this started to wane, though, you did get a few hits that kind of revitalized that energy, notably Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street and it kind of changed the game by bringing in more of the supernatural elements while still holding to those, like, key elements that make a slasher. No. Um. Well, even before
1: that came out, you had the explosion. Like, the early 80s was just, it was slasher, 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 one after the next. And another reason why they started to decline so quickly is because the oversaturation. Right. There was just way too many of them. Yeah. Um, and even if they're good, you get bored of them. And then <laughs> after unless, a while, let's yeah. be honest, half the slashers out there, if not more, aren't that great.
0: Right. You kind of watch them and you're like, I'm glad I can say I watched that. But yeah. Um. But Elm Street was a huge commercial success. It was a budget of 1.8 million and it grossed more than 25.5 million in North America. Yep. Put new line on the map. It did. Um, the house that Freddie built. Yep. That's the tagline that's always attached to them now. Mm hmm. Um, but despite that success, you had a huge fatigue going on with slasher films, like you said. And so where it kind of continued on going forward was the home video revolution. Oh, yeah. We had the rise of VHS. It was suddenly very easy to just release a film direct to VHS You or... can shoot it on video. Yeah. And if it's a slasher film, people will buy it. Um, and so... And I, I pulled this... I wish I had... Could, I meant to save the article, but I didn't. But this was from an article, but it said... Uh, without the major studio backing for theatrical release, slasher films became the second, only to pornography, in the home video market. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's awesome. Um, and so, some of the Holover films, as we moved past this time, you had things like the Mutilator from 1985. <laughs> so funny. Uh, Blood Rage in '87. Also funny. Uh, Killer Party from '86. And that led to a series of kind of this Slumber whole like party massacre movies. Um, I mean, just. Like you were saying, like this whole punk rock, so like anyone can grab a camera and go yeah. make one of these. Yep. And so that led to a lot of shot on video slashers with stuff like um, Blood Cult from 85. And Sledgehammer. Sledgehammer. Uh, Truth or Dare from 86. Oh, that's, that's a piece of shit, man. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. It's Tim Ritter and I love him, so. <laughs> oh man, you're insane. That movie sucks. <laughs> um, and then you had some on the fringe that were kind of lesser known. You had things like Sleepaway Camp, Slumber Party Massacre, which you brought up. Uh Silent Night, Deadly Night fleshed out into its own series of sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, the, the big ones continued to have sequels all throughout the 80s and on beyond. Friday the 13th, Elm Street, Halloween. Um, but there was always some, that... Some of them were still going. Some of them were still going. There's always that diminishing decline, though. Oh, yeah. um, and then even speaking of the impact of like Freddy and Elm Street... It also got its own series of sort of inspired copycats uh, with stuff like Bad Dreams from 1988, uh, Dream Demon, Deadly Dreams. Brainstorm. Brainstorm, yeah. There were a ton of those. A ton of the prison. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so by 89, a lot of this had kind of faded from public interest. You had a lot of box office failures then. Um, Jason takes Manhattan in 89. The Fifth Elm Street, Dream Child, Revenge of Michael Myers, all of these had pretty middling box office sales compared to what it was before. There was a, mm-hmm. there was a clear drop-off. Um, and due to this decline, the rights to Friday the 13th and Halloween were sold to New Line and Miramax, respectively. You know, for me, when uh, going to the theater and when I
1: finally, when I realized that The Slasher was well and truly dead, wasn't until 1992 when I went to go see Dr. Giggles. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm like two-thirds of the way through this movie, and I'm like, oh, God, the, the slasher genre is truly dead. <laughs> I didn't even stay for That's the only movie I've walked out on.
0: It was that bad Wow, for me. <laughs> and so uh, New Line had this whole idea that now that they had both of these properties, they were going to work toward a crossover, and that would be their big profit return. So, to set this up, you had uh, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare in 91. So bad. Utterly abysmal. So bad. And uh, Jason Jason Goes to Hell, The Final Friday in 93. Also terrible. Fuck you. I know what you're going to say. fucking amazing and terribly underrated. One day we will have it on this show so that I can vindicate it. Dude. It's a steaming pile of shit. I'm sorry. The day is coming and you shall
1: see. Uh, There's like one good kill. Maybe two.
0: Uh, Meanwhile, with Miramax at the helm, Halloween went into The Curse of Michael Myers, which had terrible fan reaction. Uh, Let me guess,
1: you love that one too, you freak.
0: So I don't love it, but (laughs) I like it more than a lot of the Halloween sequels.
1: Well, I so. mean, especially with the last three. <laughs> yeah, it looks like a fucking work of art compared to those. Um,
0: so, so the 90s became a kind of a dim time for the slasher a little bit. Um, but but the, they kept trying. But they kept trying. Especially on home video. Because they you would still get
1: slasher movies all the fucking time.
0: And sort of the, I guess, the inspired ones within the creative community realized that you kind of needed to change the game again. Right? So that was kind of like Halloween changed the game, Black Christmas together. Everyone started emulating that. So we had a pair of films that kind of really like brought us to the next evolution on Slasher, and that is, again, Wes Craven. He's, he's always near and dear on this with New Nightmare from 1994. Almost a proto-Scream. Proto-Scream, which Scream is the next movie I was going to bring up in mm. this set. Scream in 96. Because now we have to get meta. Also Craven, yeah. How do you evolve this now that it's dry and boring and done?
1: People have to know they're in a horror film and... They have to have
0: witticisms yes. and remarks. It has to be self-referential, ironic, bring in a lot of postmodern humor, but keep the horror element very visceral and very kind of... Theoretically. ...in your face. <laughs> they try to. Um, so in a way, it was like the first wave of this whole like nostalgia play, which we're just buried in right now in modern times. But um, like we, we saw these, and it appealed back to those like right. golden age slashers, but yeah. it was something new.
1: I'll give Scream some credit. I'm not the biggest fan of Scream. The first 15 minutes are pure fucking brilliance. And I wish that was the whole movie. Um, But I cannot forgive Scream for what it did. Because it spawned those movies like I Know What You Did Last Summer and Urban Legend. And they were all the fucking same. It it was probably how people felt in the early 80s. Because every slasher film coming out was the fucking same.
0: Right. You got these way too attractive teens. (laughs) Well, and that—that that is sort of the next evolution I wanted to get into, is like, where did it go from Scream? It floating went, heads on the posters. It and went to kind of the copycats of that with stuff like I Know What You Did Last Summer, no. uh, Urban Legend. Then they get PG-13. It's like, fuck mm-hmm. you, no. Um, which, again, those like brought in a lot of big names, like actors at the time, to kind of sell them. With people like uh, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Jennifer Love Hewitt. We do love Sarah Michelle Gellar. We do. Um and then also Scream and I Know What You Did Last Summer were hugely popular internationally and kind of inspired films from there. One I really wanted to bring up because it's a personal favorite of mine, South Korea in 2000 did their own riff of like the 90s teen slasher called Bloody Beach. Have you seen it? I do. I, I own a, I think it's bootleg DVD of it because that's the only way you could get access to it. Is it amusing? It's pretty good. Yeah. It, it kind of has the proto like, the internet exists so let's lean into that Mm. so they have like a weird like chat email client that they use and the killer is like sending them messages and Mm. maybe it's one of their group and they're at like a beach house for the summer but they're being picked off one by one and yeah the only people that can manage internet horror back then were the Japanese (laughs) you know they're Uh, the only ones who got it it's very Cry Wolf but I think I want to say it's before Cry Wolf I don't remember when that came out yeah I'm thinking that was early 2000s around Um, the same time as what was it
1: (sighs) Horror.com or some yeah. shit like that. Fear, fear.com. Fear.com. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> what a Stephen Paul.
0: The little the mini internet boom. Uh, Australia had Cut from 2000, which cast Molly Ringwald as its heroine. Oh, yeah. Uh, in Britain, you had Lighthouse from 99. The Netherlands had a pair of teen slashers, Schools Out and The Pool from 99 and 2001, respectively. And even Bollywood got in the game with their first musical slasher hybrid, Kuch Tohai from 2003. So hey, slasher craze, it went global. <laughs> and 20 so, years
1: later, it goes, goes global.
0: But like anything, like we've seen this already, we have the cycle where it builds up, it bursts, you get these copycats, and then it kind of drops. Sure. So eventually, the, this whole teen slasher self-referential thing started to die down and get kind of tired, and Past. not in the least part due to things like Scary Movie, which riffed on the whole genre yep. in a way that, uh, well, well, to me, is kind of unappealing and... Takes the fun out of it. Oh, but. I agree. Um, Especially so, when we've already got a movie that's
1: already kind of making fun of itself. And mm-hmm. it's self-aware. Then you make a comedy about it. Yeah. It's kind of like...
0: They're already doing that, guys. You know? Right. So where do you go from here? Those old things worked before, so why not remake them? <laughs> Let's do them again. So we, th- Only we ha- worse. We then move into, in the early 2000s, this series of <sighs> larger, budgeted remakes of classic slashers. And this is when I get really pissed off. We have um, Platinum Dunes... With the Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 2003. Fuck Platinum Dunes. Um, We had Gus Van Sant's erroneously planned Psycho from 98. Oh, the shot-for-shot remake? Yes. That offered nothing to the conversation. Um, But the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it was a big box office success.
1: It's probably the most successful of all those Platinum Mm -hmm. Dune remakes. Although I'm not really a big fan,
0: but... And then when that happened, it was like, okay, it's time for Overdrive again. So in a quick succession, you had House of Wax, 2005. Black Christmas got its remake. The first Um, remake. First remake. So stupid. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre got its own original prequel, The Beginning, in 2006. You get the Fog remake. Remember that one? Fog remake, When a Stranger Calls. Prom Night. Um, April Fool's Day. Yep. Yep. Then they tapped Rob Zombie to come in on reboot Halloween in 2007, <laughs> which I kind of quite like a little bit. Yeah, whatever. Uh, especially that second one where he just goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes got a remake, which wasn't bad actually. It wasn't a bad remake. Those are alright. I like how brutal they are. It was like very they really brutal. Lean into it, but man, nah, not as good as the original. Mm-mm. And this all peaked at the the end of the early 2000s with stuff like My Bloody Valentine's remake, Friday the 13th. Barf. Last House on the Left, Sorority Row. We make Last House on the Left. Fuck you, stepfather. Um, And then, and then we get to kind of the death knell of this remake spree with Platinum Dunes, Nightmare on Elm Street, remake.
1: As much as I loathe (laughs) all those other
2: remakes,
1: (laughs) none of them are as bad as this one for me. This is like, what? What the hell? What the literal hell were they thinking? It's not even trying. It was just so. Ah, all right. We're not talking about an Rental street remake.
0: I kind of like stuff about it a little bit. <sighs> like, what? Oh, wait, no, It's <laughs> not, not. I don't want to know. I don't we, care. We still have a movie to talk about, so. Yeah, man, we got a whole it's movie like a to talk about. Um, so, yeah, it, it was dead. It was done. Um, it kind of carried on a little bit into the 2010s and beyond with straight to video ones. You had another uh, Silent Night and Silent Night, Bloody Night, The Homecoming. Um, Chucky made its ploy with Curse of Chucky which was both like a sequel and a reboot at the same time yeah at least those were still basically sequels Um, they tried again with Texas Chainsaw uh, 2013 (laughs) they tried a
1: few times Texas Texas Chainsaw
0: Chainsaw. 3D which kind of billed as like a sequel to the original (laughs) film do your thing cuz (laughs) yeah yeah it, oh man, it, it, they keep trying to make those, uh, and they keep it, sucking. It, it, it was going down. It was kind of done for a while, and where we saw like this really continue, like there was every now and again, there's indie <laughs> stuff, there's low budget stuff.
1: So I'm thinking that Netflix Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just oh, fucking man. awesome. <laughs>
0: dude, it is. It's so dude. Mean, it's a piece of shit. It's so mean spirited.
1: I fucking love it. It, it might be mean spirited, but it's still fucking ridiculous and stupid. And all right. In a sea of reboot cools, I appreciate it. Dude's like, what, 75? <laughs> the chainsaw still happens to work. It's been in the
0: wall for how long? Um, all right, all right. So a lot of this kind of made the jump into the television world because getting closer to modern times, TV production has really become something more, more than what it used to be, has a lot of the theatrical elements to it. And so after stuff like um, AMC's The Walking Dead and American Horror Story from FX... You begin to see a lot of like slasher-based horror series get made. Uh, you had A and E's Bates Motel. It was actually quite good. I recommend that highly. I never went into it, but I was intrigued. It starts off a little rough, but man, it, it gets very good. Um, and then MTV even took their own spin on Scream, which I quite enjoyed. I thought nah, never, that was a lot never of bothered fun. bothered with that.
1: Um, actually, I haven't seen any Scream stuff past two. Wow. Yeah. Damn.
0: Um, and then you had some that were kind of like adjacent, but they drew on a lot of the tropes. You had stuff like Freeforms, Pretty Little Liars, and then the CW is Riverdale, which kind of leaned those tropes into like a young adult demographic. Hey,
1: Riverdale was awful, too.
0: Um, and then what? There was uh, Fox had Screen Queens, and then there was the show just called Slasher, which I think, what, Netflix owns now, maybe? Uh, maybe? Yeah. And then all the way up into current airing times, we have stuff like Chucky got its own mm-hmm. TV series. Which has been quite good. Um, so late in the game, we've got Blumhouse. They've took a spin at some slashers. You have stuff like Happy Death Day in twenty seventeen, which I quite enjoy. I like the first one quite a bit. Yeah. Yep. And um, and then Blumhouse got into the game on doing some like meta sequel remakes, both with the Halloween franchise, and you know they actually did a meta sequel for the town that dreaded sundown. Right. From 2014, which is... I never saw that one either. Quite good. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Well, the Halloween movies aren't. <laughs> no. Garbage. You can go back in time and listen to us talk about them as they came out. Um, well, you would want to do that. I have no idea. And so that kind of brings us to modern times. And um, we, we had the Halloween reboot uh, rebootquals, and that was a whole thing. The long legal dispute over Friday the 13th is kind of settled. Yeah, we've we've got got a, I feel got like in the next couple of years we're going to get one of those. We've got a Crystal Lake kind of prequel TV show in the works. Probably a movie oh, in the pipeline. Is going to
1: happen? I don't, I'll be
0: shocked that it actually sees the light of day. I have hope just because of Brian Fuller. Because if you ever saw the Hannibal TV show, oh, that Oh, the Hannibal TV fucking show was rocked.
1: fucking sublime. Yeah. It was just perfect. so good. That gives me hope, but still. Brian Fuller's been attached to a lot of stuff that just became nothing. So yeah, we'll see. We'll,
0: we'll see. Um, and I feel like every year you just hear people talking about Elm Street. Like it's, it seems like it's time for Freddy to come back. And I just, I don't know if it's gonna happen. But I don't you know.
1: know. People said this about Bela Lugosi and, and, and Boris Karloff and so many other actors. But I just, man, Freddy is Robert England. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually did kind of like uh, Jackie Earl Haley.
0: I kind of liked his take. See, that's one of the things I appreciate about that film because they wanted like a very like. No joking to him, Freddy. Right.
1: He, he was kind of scary again. Um, The makeup, I wasn't exactly sold on. Uh, but still, he just... that's just... I mean, Freddy is it's Robert England. Right. I, it's I, hard
0: it's, to get past that. Yeah.
1: Anyway. That, that's also why Wes Craven's new nightmare didn't work too well for me. Because that Freddy... It, it, it's, it, not it, Freddy. it's not Freddy. Yeah. And I
0: know also, on a metal level, it's not Freddy. Right. It's a demon that's <laughs> assuming the story to influence the world. But... Yeah. Um, I wanted to leave us on this. So, like, where where our slasher films are going. We've caught up to the modern time. We're going to the future now. And I thought this was worth mentioning just because it was kind of fun. And it, there was a precedence for this. Um, there's kind of a new subgenre in the mix here with killer animatronic-themed slashers. And this all spawns out of the video game Five Night at Freddy's. Mm-hmm. If you play video games at all, I'm sure you know about My it. My nephew was shocked it's, I me what that was. It's <laughs> hard to get away from it. Um it's had hype for a while and people have been wanting a film of it and it got option, but it's been in this like production limbo. So in the meantime, you've had copycat films kind of come out on the premise. You had the banana splits movie in 2019 and then Nicholas Cage starred in Willy's Wonderland in 2021. Mm-hmm. But if you're keeping up on your horror news at all, you know that the five night at Freddy's film is happening and it's coming. What is it this year? Next year. It's soon. It's I soonish. Seen, I think. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Could be could be a big deal. It could be a stealth uh, nightmare movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. So the slasher genre, genre like all, all the cockroaches of horror films, endures. Yeah, it, it'll never die. It's but... cyclical. It always comes
1: back, just like the killers in the movies. Yep.
0: Oh, so that was a too lengthy, <laughs> and I had to burn through all my notes because I fucking made it. <laughs> uh, overview of the slasher genre. It's not exhaustive. It could never be. No, 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 no. Um, Books aren't even exhaustive. But there you go. So now let's talk about Muck. All right. Let's talk about it. I'm going to hit you with the synopsis. Do it. Oh, genre, it's horror, slasher, of course. We mm-hmm. don't need to go mm-hmm. any deeper than that. Um, here's the synopsis. After narrowly escaping an ancient burial ground, a group of friends find themselves trapped between two evils, forcing them to fight, die, or go back the way they came.
1: That was supposed to be a burial ground.
0: <laughs> well, that's what the official synopsis says. Okay, okay, okay. All right. So, when this film opens, immediately you are confused.
1: Well, it's. <laughs> I, I think after
0: a couple of seconds.
1: Okay, we. Okay, first we gotta talk about the titles. Okay. Yeah. Because the whole title sequence is just. It's like a woman. In her underwear, calling out. She's like in the middle of nowhere. It's mm-hmm. nighttime. She's calling out for her friends. Yeah. Um, hang on. No, wait. No, because the title is actually there's like a code open and then you get to the title. Yeah, the cold open is them running through the marsh. Yeah, because you see the girl first. She's in her underwear looking hot. And you're like, hey, who's that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, calling out for her friends and then her friends show up. Mm. One, one by of, one. One by one. One of them's injured and wow. then you realize okay this is in media res we're, we're in the middle of a typical slasher film
2: mm-hmm.
1: because we're talking about how they've lost some of their other companions yep some people are back there in the swamp they want to go back and try to find them others are saying no they're dead
0: yep we got to get out of here and let me just run down some of these people so you've got uh, the the woman who spends most of her time in the film in her underwear is Mia played That's by most of the women isn't it Lauren Francesca <laughs> um then you've got Desiree, played by Laura Jacobs. Kylie, played by Stephanie Danielson. Uh, Billy, who's the injured one, played by Grant Allen Oates. And then kind of the the leading man of the film at the start is Noah, played right. by Bryce Draper. And Kylie is his girlfriend. Yeah, Kylie is his girlfriend. We get some very quick notes about them as far as characters. They're all the slasher tropes. Uh, Noah's like your leading guy. Kylie, what she's a, like a medical student, yeah. so she knows how to treat wounds and injuries and stuff. Right. When I was a party girl. Desiree's the party girl, kind of the slutty one. Mia, we don't get a lot of her personality because she is like the traumatized victim of whatever the prior incident was. Yeah. She she is, she's the barber of the movie. <laughs> yeah, she's scared and out of her out of her mind and out of sorts. Out of her clothes. Out of her clothes. And then Billy's sort of the like jockish asshole, but also the com- c- comedic relief of the group. Well, especially the guys,
1: they're, they're bouncing back and forth a lot of um, quips mm-hmm. and, and witticisms. Yep. So you've got, there's sort of that self-aware scream effect going on here too, I yep. think.
0: Definitely, definitely. And so we we establish a few things. They're, they're in a marsh, marshy area, swampy area. Mm-hmm. Uh, we learned that they're in Cape Cod. Mm-hmm. It doesn't come up till later, but they're in a town called West Craven. Yeah. Which, <laughs> Not the fun, fun little yeah. Scream-style meta nod there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, they're just looking for shelter, basically, when we first meet them. Yeah, and they see
1: there's, there's this house nearby, and they debate about this way too long, I think. Because yeah. they're like, oh, we can't just break in. Nobody's home. I'm <laughs> like, fucking break in. You know, this guy's bleeding <laughs> to death.
0: Just fucking break in. Which it's funny, because that's Billy's argument. Is he's like, hey, I'm, I'm dying over yeah. here. Yeah. Then we get the credit sequence, mm-hmm.
1: which is pretty much... Is it Mia, or is it just like some other girl?
0: Well, I think it's supposed to be... They had one more friend. I think it's... Is it Ava? It could be. That they say is like still back there, and she may be alive. But I, I gotta say, man, these
1: credits annoyed the fuck out of me. <laughs> so it's it's that it's that very kind of mid-2000s
0: like goth, editing style. Goth-rocky music. You got this and,
1: sub-techno gothy yeah. wannabe song, and it's all... The camera's, like, zooming in and out and editing
0: on her exposed body and things like that. So, see, this might just be an age thing for me, but, like, all those movies were, like, my jam. Because that was, like, when I was in high school and I was watching all that shit. Uh Uh-huh. And so it's, like, when that happened, I was like, fuck, man, this is, this, this hits me, man, in a way that, I don't know, I can't quantify. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. All right. I mean, and then plus you've got a uh, very attractive lady wandering around uh, I'm not graveyard. knocking that. I'm yeah.
1: never going to say no to that.
0: Um, We should maybe just throw this out right at the front. This film is very not PC. It is not PC. Uh, it's very much trying to be a throwback to like classic-y, exploitation-y slashers. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. And it, that's that was its goal, and it, it sets out and it does it. And if that's just, not, if that's not your jam, I, I'm then... not sure
1: how successfully it does it. And I will elucidate. We can, we we can get into that continue. for sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, so the house is locked up, but they, they wind up breaking into it.
0: I love how they do it too, because they try a little bit and then they're thinking of like other ways to get in. And then Desiree just kind of goes up and nudges the door. Yeah. And it opens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happened to me one time, actually. I was really? living in,
1: it was my first apartment and it was a shitty apartment. And I think my my cat had gotten out the door, right? Mm -hmm. And it was one of those internal corridor things. Mm. So I go out and I grab my cat, but I had shut the door behind me. And it locked. (laughs) I'm like, what the fuck? I'm like, I can't can't get back in. And my wife's at work, like, you know, 25 miles away. I'm like, what the (laughs) hell? And I just kind of give it a hard push. Mm -hmm. Not like to the show, just with my hand. And (laughs) it just breaks (laughs) open. I'm like, oh,
0: I feel so secure. Well, I mean, until I got used to it, I thought that was how your basement door was. Like I, I would come over and be like, oh, Jason forgot and left it locked. And you'd be like, no, you just got to... It just sticks. Yeah, yeah. it just sticks. <laughs> uh, so they get into the house. They find shelter. It's seemingly abandoned. Mm-hmm. Um, they post up Billy on a couch. Mia grabs a blanket and huddles up in a chair. Yeah, they, they can't find a phone. Can't find a phone. They find
1: booze and they immediately start drinking.
0: Well, De- Desiree starts drinking. Yeah, she's the party she's girl. She's the party girl. Even though does. they're all being hunted um, or
1: whatever, that she's going to start drinking.
0: And so there's this big debate about Noah wants to run for help because they're not that far from civilization mm-hmm. if he is correct about where they are. And so he's like, you know, you guys stay here, huddle up together, I'll run and get help and come back.
1: And they even have a self-aware conversation about what's going to
0: happen. I, I loved but, this scene, yeah, yeah. Because
1: Billy, the one that's bleeding out, basically saying they're in a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And he's saying, you're going to die first, and then I'm next because I'm wounded. And... <laughs>
0: he lays it out and it's very funny because he's like well you know Desiree's gonna die because
1: yeah, she's a slut she's or a something slut. like
0: that yeah. and then he's like and then I'm injured so of course I'm gonna die yeah. and then he's like Mia's already out of it so it's just a matter of time for her Yeah. and then he's Kylie's like Kylie's the smart one and so he's, he's like, he's like, like but Carly, you're the smart one you're modestly dressed Yeah. you're gonna be the one that survives to the end we won't even get to see your boobs Right. and kind of just lays out all of those uh, slasher tropes that we know yeah uh they do kind of a half-assed search, search of the
1: house, which bothers me. But they don't find a first aid kit. No. But you think they could do something about Billy's wound. Yeah. I Because mean, it's like gushing blood. I mean, it looks yeah. bad. Find some linens or something. Wrap it up. I don't know.
0: I did like that, too, when they first get to the house. He tries to downplay it, and he's like, oh, it's not that bad. And then the camera kind of shifts, and you see it just yeah, it's like, <laughs> 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 It looks pretty bad, dude.
1: Um... Let's see. So, Dez, the one who's drinking, decides, oh, I'm filthy. I'm going to take a shower. Yeah.
0: Of course you are. She flirts with Billy a bunch. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I want, he's like, I wish I could come up and join you. And he's like, hey, Mia, why don't you go shower with her? Would yeah. you could see that? Even though he's bleeding out, he's <laughs> still a horny fuck, which I appreciate. <laughs> uh, I like his attitude about it, though, because he's like, hey, if I'm going to die, I might as yeah, well try. Yeah, I happy. <laughs> right.
1: Um, so she goes to take
0: a shower while Kylie goes
1: downstairs.
0: Right, because ultimately Noah convinces them, like, hey, I'm gonna go. Right. My My cousin's in the area, he can come with his car, we can get out of here. Yeah. And he runs off into the, the unknown.
1: Yeah. And, like, Kali's going down, none of the lights seem to work for very long. They turn mm-hmm. them on and they go off and um, we get like a glimpse of like some pale bodybuilder or something. yeah, it is a cool <laughs> shot though.
0: because it's like she's there and she looks away and then he kind of leans in out of the darkness. Yeah yeah, yeah. That, that was all right that was perfect. Um, And this is our primary antagonist and slasher one of several slashers in this film. Uh, Grossum Crudel played by the Kane Hodder. I mean, you never get that name. and y- You don't. You don't get a lot of information
1: in this movie. Y- you do not know. Um, but I, but think I it- did not recognize this as Kane Hodder. Oh, really? I didn't know until, those, until the credits that this was Kane Hodder.
0: So, fun trivia about this film. I believe this is the first time he ever appeared shirtless in a movie. Yeah, because he has the scars and everything. Mm. And, doesn't really... yeah, and they kind of leaned that into his design. Yeah. Um, good look. Intimidating look. Well, it's Kane Hodder. He, d- <laughs> he does have a bit of like a wrestler vibe where there's no other costuming going on. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and he, he is one of several sort of albino cannibal killer sure. tribe that exists out this way in the marsh. Yeah, they're ungodly strong. Um, They all have cool fucking badass like D&D character sounding names. None of which you learn until you see the credits. Right, you
1: have to watch the credits get their names. Um, um, and yeah, Noah's on foot looking for help. He finds a bar full of hot chicks. And this is when I was like, oh, it's St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Um, and, and we
0: get now one of the weirdest interludes to put into the middle of a film where this is the plot that's going on as we spend maybe the next like 15 minutes yeah. just in this bar. Yeah. And it, it's not trying to be Twin Peaksy, but it kind of is Twin Peaksy just because it's fucking weird. And it's like your friends are at a house dying right now. Yeah, he's
1: taking his time, he's like he, ordering a drink. Ordering
0: a drink. There's this whole subplot where there's a, a lady there who's like a kind of older woman, She's kind cougar. of cougar. I think, she, I think
1: her name is something cougar, isn't uh, it? It's uh,
0: Victoria Cougar, played yeah. by Gia Scova.
1: Yeah, so yeah, Noah comes in, and Noah's a good-looking <laughs> guy, but, I mean, this dude is fucking filthy. You know, he's been traipsing yeah. around in a swamp and shit, but all these girls look at him, and it's like, oh, they're like taking bets on who's going to fuck him first. Yeah. And I'm like,
0: really? Yeah, and they kind of set up that uh, Victoria's had some, like, troubles with her husband, and they're like, oh, you should you should go after him. It's your birthday. Yeah, yeah. And, but, <laughs> n- and then we get an extended... Noah should
1: be going directly to a phone.
0: Yeah. But he's like, I'm going to get a drink. And then he's like, oh, I better go to the bathroom and wash off. And we get an extended scene of where he is in the bathroom with his shirt off, trying mm-hmm. to clean up. And then Victoria is in the women's bathroom, trading clothes with one of her friends. Yeah. This is one of the... To have a the, sexier outfit. One of the first of
1: the many... Uh, girls looking at the mirror at at themselves and touching themselves. Total total just like cheesecake scenes. That makes absolutely no sense
0: whatsoever. But you know what? I'm going to say this. I appreciate them because like many old 80s slashers, they are equal opportunists because we get Noah shirtless kind of. Yeah, but that's like the only scene
1: where we get a dude and there's several with girls.
0: Oh, there's another scene at the end.
1: Yeah, or, uh, I
0: guess. A character we've not met yet. It's still not nearly as gratuitous yeah. as with the women. Um, but my point is that's something I always appreciated now looking back at like Friday the thirteenth, like every single character in that is like sexy and hot.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, the girls, the guys you know. Yeah. That's cool.
1: No, it's cool. And I'm I'm you know my I'm I'm by no means a prude. But I, I want <laughs> things to make sense in the narrative. Right. But, okay, we'll get into more of that.
0: So so she comes out, she's hitting on Noah, and he has to use her phone. Which is fucking weird, because why would you not just use the bar phone?
1: Yeah, she's, like, trying to take a, a selfie with him and shit. And it's like, why are you so impressed by this dude? Is this town so vacant of moderately attractive men that you're just losing your shit over this guy? Yeah, apparently so. And she also has a
0: distracting accent. I'm not sure yeah. where
1: she's from. Some Eastern Bloc country, maybe.
0: I don't know. But. Which then raises the question of, like, why is she here? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe her husband's rich or something. Like sure. A, we're, we're inventing backstory we don't need to invent. But. <laughs> we
1: definitely do not. Because she disappears in a minute. <laughs> um. Okay, okay. And then we go back to Des, who's in the shower. Yep. So we get a little bit more of gratuitousness well, she, here. She gets a mirror scene where she, she undresses. Gets, they all get a mirror scene. Yeah. Women in this movie love looking at themselves and trying on underwear. Yes. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that's true for all women everywhere. <laughs>
0: I mean, it's in this movie, so it must be true.
1: Uh, it's okay. So she turns on the radio that's in there. So we get this, another pretty bad song. Now some slow gothy techno Yeah. And we get some shots of her showering and then the lights go out Ooh. and like, she's, she's trying to get out and there's like a window that she could see out of. Right. And there's, she sees a woman screaming for help.
0: She, it looks like Mia, but it's it looks hard like to Mia,
1: and there's like a bunch of pale dudes around her mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's just she tries to get out and she like slips on the tub right yeah, she
0: slips and hits her head and it kind of gets knocked out for a minute and this is where this is one of the criticisms I will definitely lay on this film is they do some weird like time jump cut things that don't really add anything yeah it adds nothing.
1: Because it's like stuff that happened like maybe three minutes before.
0: And then they go back and show yeah, you. And it's, it's not like, like Pulp Fiction. Here, yeah. You
1: know? Although this guy definitely wants to be Quentin Tarantino, I
0: think. <laughs> well, he did specially thank him in the uh, credits for all that he does. Oh, so. did he? I,
1: did, I missed that part. Yep. Okay. Um. So Des gets up runs downstairs. She's in a towel. And that Pell dude comes up with an axe. Come on, Jason. You. Say the name. It's, it's Grossom Crudel. It's Grossom Crudel? Is that the last <laughs> name? Yes. Kane Hodder, hits her <laughs> in the stomach with an axe
0: and you know, she goes down. It's a cool he, shot too. Yeah. How he swings out and just
1: bam. And then he hooks
0: it. her with it and he's
1: like dragging her up steps. It,
0: it makes a good look because like where he is like sort of this like albino cannibal thing going on. He's like stark white when the blood sprays out. Yeah, it's a nice contrast. A nice visual contrast. Um, and I think now's the time to bring it up. Another thing to prop this film on is that they went all practical on the effects. Okay, It's all, it's all actual you that's know, a, blood. I appreciate that. Uh, no CG blood sprays or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's commendable. Yeah. Um, okay, then we cut to
1: some guy who is called both Davidson and Troit. Yeah, Troit. Troit. Um,
0: is noah's cousin i
1: don't know what the fuck kind of name this is i don't know if it's short for something or whatever
0: the first thing to know about well first thing to know about Troy is he's played by lachlan buchanan second thing to know about Troy is he is a giga chad
1: (laughs) his name should have just been chad who is just yeah he he should have been named chad Troy is such a distracting name (laughs) i could never get over it every time they said his name i'm just giggling to myself
0: and he's at another bar with a his, very, um, empty <laughs> very empty bar. very empty bar. With his friend Chandy, played by Pooja Mohindra. Mm-hmm. And a random attractive lady named Tara, played by Playmate Jacqueline Swedberg.
1: Yes. 2012 Playmate, wasn't it? Something yes, like I
0: believe 2012 Playmate. Yes.
1: Um... Yeah, and then Tara gets up and we get this, like, over-edited shot of her butt as she walks away. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: because she, she's digging Troy because he, he is a giga Chad and just exudes all all the aspects of manliness that everyone would just unequivocally love, no matter how much of an asshole he is.
1: Yeah. So, Noah's calling this dude, and he says, come pick me up in West Craven. Yeah. And that's all the information he gives.
0: When, again, they do the meta jokes, he's like, dude, this better not be some West Craven bullshit. <laughs> yeah. But how does he know where to go? Right. Yeah, uh, it's very vague. Meanwhile, we get Tara in her bathroom mirror scene. Yes. A- and this boggled my mind. And T- this is fucking weird. Okay, so Tiffany didn't really watch the film with me, but she was in the room and she would kind of <laughs> pay attention and fade out. Right. And she noticed this scene and she was kind of like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. So she goes through like five different sets of bras and panties.
1: For some reason, she has like five different sets of underwear yeah. in this bag. Yeah, yeah. And, and she goes through trying each of them on. To find the one that's the right one. Whilst ogling herself in the mirror. Yeah. As all the women do in this movie. <laughs> it's so fucking absurd. It's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. This is when I started hating you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, listen. I mean, I like looking at attractive women. Uh, don't get me wrong. Plenty of the
0: year, so... It's
1: just... What the fuck is literally <laughs> happening right now? This is
0: not normal behavior. Um, see, I don't think it's intentional, but it became a comedy for me, and I don't think it's supposed to be, but that was so what, like I, that's me That's one of
1: my que- I was wondering how much of this is supposed to be funny, mm-hmm. and how much is the director thinking he's cool?
0: I think it was 100% the director thought he was cool. <laughs> okay. And then I just found comedic enjoyment in it. Oh, so. no, no.
1: I was laughing.
0: I was <laughs> laughing. Um, we get some weird interactions between Troit and Chandy. She's, like, kind of into him. He's kind of into her. Yeah. But also, he's, like... Again, he's, he's the Giga Chad, so yeah. he's trying to fuck anything that moves. Sure. And he kind of downplays it, but it's in a really rude, really, like... I don't think you're supposed to like him that much. Well... I don't, I don't know when they made the film. I guess you're supposed to think he's cool, but <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, he makes some very uh, racist jokes yeah. toward Chandy Yeah. That I'm not even gonna repeat no, on no. air, Boom, but we'll go um, there. no, we don't need to. <clears throat> it has to do with misconstruing her uh, her heritage. Yes. And she kind of just accepts it a little bit, like laughs it off. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. That's yeah. the one part of the film that kind of hang, hangs me up, and I'm like, that feels bad though. Uh, even even for a joke, it, it I agree, yeah, even if she's cool
1: with it, it's kind of like, eh, is she cool with it, or is she just being like you know overly polite to avoid a situation?
0: um, but eventually, once you've had enough cheesecake, Tara returns, and then he's like, "Hey, fuck it, we're going to West Craven, yeah, and they get shots for the road, <laughs> yeah, this guy really should not be driving no. And the bartender kind of tries to dissuade them on that, but uh, yeah, there's
1: like some sort of attempt to be like West Craven.
0: Oh, you shouldn't go there, but it's it's very big. And they even do a fading thing of like he, the bartender turns to talk to someone else to be like, you don't think it could be, yeah. And then we just never go back there again. Never, yeah. this is done. It's no. finished. Um. Meanwhile, back at the house. Yeah, Noah gets back to the house. Well, it's before he gets back. Okay. Bad badness occurs. Right? What ha- what happened? Right. So, we see what actually happened that was before that Desiree saw, where the uh, the the cannibals kind of break in. Which you know I don't know if we ever see them eat them, so I don't know if they're cannibals. But yeah, I'm not sure they're cannibals. You know what? I, I, in the promotional stuff for this, they kept calling them creepers, so, I, so I'm just gonna go with that. Okay. I mean, uh, okay. Creep- in my notes, I just call them pale dudes. Pale dudes. <laughs> yeah, the, the pale dudes break in and uh, Billy and Mia are kind of just at their mercy because Mia's out of it and then Billy's injured. Mm -hmm. So they start to drag them out back into the marsh. Right. Which that's what Desiree sees from upstairs is that Billy's struggling and Mia's trying to get away. Right, trying to ward them off. Which surprisingly, for as much of an asshole as he's been, he actually tells Mia just to forget him and run. Yeah. And save herself. I did appreciate that part. Yeah. That was a cool, like, to know as little as we do about them, it was a cool moment for him.
1: Um... Okay, so this is when Noah's running back to the house, oh,
0: right? Oh, I gotta stop you, Jason. Sorry. Okay, no, go ahead. Also, Kylie's in the basement. And she gets jumped and attacked. Yeah. And captured by the creepers. Right. Because isn't it before he gets back that we get the whole, like, super cut of them, like, torturing her? No, that's when he gets back. We oh, see that happening. Um, we, we see her get grabbed before. Right, yeah, yeah, okay. But, but okay, okay we, can't, we
1: cannot skip over this part. Okay, let's go. Because he's on his way back to the house, right? This is,
0: like, one of the best scenes in the film.
1: And... And uh, he passes by some other house mm-hmm. with yet another woman standing in front of a mirror, checking herself out and stripping. And yeah. the windows open so he can see in. And he stops.
0: He stops and just watches.
1: His his one of his, Presumably his best friend is bleeding out mm-hmm. and they're missing some of their other friends. But he stops and watches.
0: Yeah, I believe this is Miss Cape Cod uh, 2013 played by Audra Van East. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that's a fictional thing or a real thing, but it's weird. (laughs) I hope it's a real thing. And this is where Tiffany gave me her second revelation about this movie. Yes. Where she realized, and she raised this question to me, and she said, why do all the women in this film's universe own the same pair of panties? (laughs) Because they all have this, not, they don't all wear them at the same time, but like, especially (laughs) the ones that change, like Tara and then this. uh, Well, the wardrobe budget wasn't very big. This Miss Cape Cod character. Um, they all have like it's like a black pair of panties that's not quite a g-string, but it's enough that you kind of got yeah. It's kind of thongish, thongish, yeah. like butt cheeks hanging out. Mm-hmm. A- and yeah, she that was her remark. I was like, why, <laughs> why do they all it's... own this pair? This one pair. Because
1: <laughs> lingerie is expensive, yo. <laughs> but yes, yeah. Another woman checking herself out in the mirror and stripping, and
0: Noah just stops.
1: <laughs> yeah, he just stops.
0: <laughs> he just stops.
1: And then she turns around. And he's like, oh, she's gonna see me. So then he takes off. Uh, but then she gets grabbed by something. Yeah. Don't know what. Don't see it again. I'm, I'm getting animated. My hands are moving. And I'm, I'm, I'm hitting my cords over here.
0: <clears throat> I'm just watching you slowly melt down as we progress through this plot. Um, yeah, she gets grabbed by something. Maybe it's a creeper. Maybe it's maybe it's the other thing that they've alluded to. Sure. Why not? Out, out, out the super the marsh, vague other thing. The super vague other thing. They're running from. Um. um we go back to Troit. We go back to Troit. <laughs> and the two girls. We have a long, way too long scene of him starting his car because there's this whole joke about he's got like a shitty car. Which is a
1: cab for some reason. Yeah. Maybe he drives a cab. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, dude, come on. Some of this dialogue just... Because they go out and there's like this boat and one of them says, let's buy a boat. We should buy a boat. No, not this boat.
0: And then they just walk on. And I'm like, what the literal fuck? And I love that Troy's just like... Yeah, tomorrow we're going to buy a boat. Yeah, we're going to buy a boat. Let's go get my crappy car. <laughs> absurd. Totally absurd.
1: <laughs> Completely absurd. Um,
0: so they're driving. They're heading to West Craven to pick Noah up at the nondescript address that he didn't give them. Yes, they say it in the movie. I've already forgotten it. I watched it yesterday. Dude, I
1: don't think they say the address. They do.
0: They do Are you sure? Because it's in the credits, too. They credit the house. They credit the house, but they don't, he never says the address. But we know the address. They mention it earlier before, before the call.
1: The characters mention the, char- the address to each other. Yeah. So, Troy knows where
0: to go? No, Troy doesn't. I but mean, how does he know where to go? He doesn't. That's the thing. They right. never do that. But... Early in the film, I think when they first get to the house, yeah, it's like
1: number seven something yeah, something. Blah, blah, blah. But they never yeah. convey that information to Troy. So no, how the not. fuck does he know where to go?
0: I, I guess Noah's got like a GPS chip <laughs> in him. Maybe they were always getting into trouble when they were kids, you know? And... <laughs> okay. Um,
1: okay. Let me go back to Mia and Billy, right? Yeah. Well, Billy's
0: dead. Mia's on her own now. Yeah, they set him on
1: fire. They pour gasoline on him, set him on fire. It's pretty brutal. Yeah. And then, like, something drags him off screen? Yeah. We don't see what. So um, Noah finally gets back to the house after having stopping stopped to peep.
0: And just in time to see a naked Kylie get thrown through the window. Pretty epic moment. And this is where I now kind of like that first scene where they do the meta joke. Because they subvert, like, everything. Right.
1: Because she does die, and we do see
0: her tits. We, she does die, we do see her tits. We don't really see much of Desiree, which is funny. Because she was supposed to be the slutty one.
1: We see her die on the bed at some point. Yeah. Oh, but but I mean, what
0: you mean physically. Yeah. Okay, right, right. As far as, like, nudity content. Yeah, right. And then Mia outlasted the whole group. Yeah. Which is also funny.
1: So she dies telling him that everyone else is dead. Uh, Nora runs into the house. There's blood everywhere. Then he hears some noises. And I guess he goes to the base. The editing kind of sucks in this movie. I'm never really sure yeah. about spatial awareness of anything going on. But I guess he goes to the basement. And that's when we see... Um. Wait
0: a minute. I'm pretty sure we see that torture scene before he gets to the house. Yeah, you're right. We yeah. do. We do. Uh, but it's just a long, drawn-out torture scene where they, they have Mia... Or not Mia. They have uh, Kylie and they strip her naked yeah. and start cutting her up and stuff. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Um, but he runs down and there's
1: one of those pill dudes down there. Yep. And he starts fighting him. Um, he puts like a piece of metal through the dude. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: it seems and like they're easy enough to kill if you got a weapon.
1: And kills him with the axe, which he leaves in the basement, does not take it with him. Mm-hmm. Also pisses me off big time. <laughs> uh okay. Then what? Okay, we got Mia. She's wandering around, still in her underwear. We get a long protracted scene of Mia wandering. But she's wearing boots this time. She's wearing boots. But like she's some, still like, in her underwear. Yeah. Uh she comes across another house. She so she goes to this one house, which looks which looks pretty nice, but I guess mm-hmm. no one's there. So then she goes to an adjacent building, which is kind of like a shack. Yeah. It's like a little one room shack. Yeah. With a bed. It
0: is not the love shack. It's the terror shack <laughs> something's like beating on the wall so she leaves she gets in she has this like flip out moment where she's super scared and like something's beating on the roof and moving yeah. around the house and she doesn't know what it is
1: and she leaves out and there's a pale dude there and he attacks with a pitchfork but she kind of gets away from him and he does that thing where he jumps on it you know yep. she holds it out in front of her and he jumps on
0: it we got a great blood splash all over her too yeah. in this moment we do and then It's funny because she's kind of stunned wandering around, and then the uh sprinklers, the sprinklers go, go off, and she's standing there like she's kind of stunned for a minute,
1: you know. And the water's cascading down her body, and she's like, Oh, I mean, maybe she's washing the, the blood, does get washed off, so yeah. Maybe she's thinking, Oh, well, this is a good opportunity for me to wash the blood off, but oh man, it is so
0: okay. Uh. Maybe this is the time I should point out that in the credits, there is a special thanks to uh, Lauren's S. I noticed that. Did you notice that? Yeah. yeah. That's
1: classy. Stay classy, dude. <laughs> 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 um, okay, okay, okay. So they're back to Detroit. Yep. They're
0: in West Craven, but they're not quite there yet.
1: Yeah. They're driving along, and then they see all the pale dudes
0: lined up on the road. Yep. It's four of them just standing there. Yeah. and And they stop it's funny because they debate about what to do at first. Yeah. Um, it's like, obviously run them over. Right. One of them is like, just run them over. I can't run them over.
1: And, but his car stalls. They did establish earlier that he had to like pretty much hotwire his car yeah. to get it to
0: start. Shitty car.
1: Yeah. Um. So he's trying to restart it. And then the guys start advancing on them. Mm-hmm. And there's this annoying kind of frame rate thing going on that makes them look jumpy. Which I find annoying.
0: Yeah, and there's no other scene in the film that's like it either. So right. it's kinda like why did you do that? It's like you just wanted to try this out. Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna try this. This film has a lot of very much like uh, first filmmaker oh, energy yes. to it. Very, very student filmy.
1: Mm-hmm. Um So the dudes are like trying to break into the car. (laughs) We get some tasteful close-ups of the girl's boobs jiggling. (laughs)
0: Yeah. I love when they first break the windshield and there's the slow-mo shot of like the glass shattering into her cleavage. For no reason. No reason. Well, there's a reason. Well, yeah, there's a reason. uh, A narrative purpose.
1: No. No narrative purpose. And there's this really annoying guitar riff that plays over and over. Um, So they're getting out and they're fighting. And. Troy kills one one with a pitchfork. Pitchfork's a good weapon, apparently.
0: Yeah, they should stop bringing the
1: pitchforks because it seems like that (laughs) just doesn't... Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) they're going to take them and use them against you. (laughs) Okay, in this part, I'm like, what the fuck happened?
0: Yeah, so this is they kind of try to rope back in the other creature that we don't know about. Which is vague at best. And they thought the best way to do that was to make it as maximally vague as possible. So suddenly the car flips over... Crushing and killing three of the creepers and Terra,
1: and this is done in such a sloppy, yeah, what the fuck kind of way. I mean, like
0: it just kind of happens. It, literally,
1: you don't know what's going yeah. on. It's like you don't see any creature or anything like that. The card just, you know,
0: flips over on its. And then they um, use Troy to kind of narrate, like, "Oh, something happened. Something, it, yeah. flipped
1: it. It crushed them. Yeah. Okay. That's um, weird." Yeah, and then they're saying something like, something scared these guys. I'm like, I'm glad you understand that because
0: I'm not getting that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And they're afraid of whatever's out in the marsh.
1: Yeah. Oh, and there's some more great dialogue about how he smacks her on the butt. Yeah. And he says, I just saved your ass so I can smack it. And her reply is, that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Again, he he is the Giga Chad, and he just exudes this aura that... I guess she's powerless against it. ...twists reality in his favor, so... Mm -hmm. I mean, look at you and me, Jason. We're just pansy soy boys over so. here. <laughs> we are, we really are. <laughs>
1: truly. We we'll would be hanging out with chicks who look at themselves in the mirror while changing. Yeah. Alas. Oh, yes. um, okay, they come upon Noah finally. Yeah. And, and they're, they're making jokes over his dead girlfriend's body. Yeah, it's, it's terrible because <laughs>
0: Troy is still just like doing his Troy thing. Yeah. And Noah's been having like a mental breakdown as he is. Looking at his girlfriend dying uh-huh. and knows that all his friends are dead. Yeah.
1: And Troy's like, You should have told me about this. You should have told me about this. And and Noah's like, Well, I didn't know that things were like this <laughs> when I called you. And he says, I wish you had told me it was this bad because I would have jerked off first. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I had to write that line down. <laughs>
0: I wish you had told me it was this bad because I would have jerked He's off. He's in another world or something, like another <laughs> movie, and he is just existing at the same time in phase with Muck.
2: Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
0: And it's wild. It is. So then they just have to go back into the house. Yeah. And. <laughs> so, well, because uh, Troy doesn't have the car now, so they can't make a quick. Right, right, right. So. right.
1: But uh, there's also another great line where I think Troy has to take a piss. Yeah. And Chandi says, how can you piss at a time like this? I'm like, well, you gotta piss, man. You gotta piss, you know? <laughs> yeah. what, are, what are you gonna do? <laughs> but she, she says it like in a genuinely mm-hmm. puzzled way. <laughs> 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 Whatever. Um, okay, so Mia shows back up at the house where they're there, right? Yeah, she makes her way back to the house finally. And she tells them that the pale dudes are afraid of the marsh. Because she noticed that. During her flight. I'm glad she did because I did not. (laughs) I don't think that's (laughs) conveyed with the editing. I really don't.
0: Not clearly, no. No. And and we always say, show, don't tell.
1: Show, don't tell. Exactly. It's a movie.
0: But I think part of that is, and we'll we'll get into this too, but uh, this was meant to be part of a trilogy, and we're kind of starting with the middle part. And so I think they were trying to be maximally vague just so that when they finally made that first part... It could sync up however they wanted, but in doing that, I think it hurt the film big
1: time. Yeah, because you can't be so confident you're going to be able to make all three movies, and you still have to make this movie interesting in and of itself. Yeah, you have to give the audience a little
0: bit more. Mm -hmm. So that's the whole thing. Is I was like, is this like a supernatural thing? Is this like a big crocodile or something? Or
1: yeah, I mean, I the only thing that made sense to me at first, I was thinking, I kept thinking there's going to be some sort of reversal, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: like before the pale guys show up and start literally killing the people, because I thought. Okay, maybe these kids are actually killers. Oh. And they just left their victims or something mm. like that. I was exp- I was hoping for something like that, but mm. no, we didn't get that. Interesting. Um,
0: so this is kind of our big final assault. Yeah, the guys are breaking into the house. Um, we get some funny things where they try to like block the doors... That was pretty comical. The editing is horrible. <laughs> I have no idea where anyone
1: is at any time.
0: But I love that Troy's like, Chandy, go block the front door. And she's like, the window's blown open. They can just walk in. <laughs> right. And it's like, well, we gotta do something. <laughs> uh, and so it's escalating. They're kind of you know fighting and running for their lives. Yeah. And, and then this is where it really kicks up a notch because one of them, for some reason, has like a noose. And they throw it in the house and hook Troy. Somehow. And, and drag him outside. Yeah. And the second he hits the ground, like, all his Giga Chad powers activate. <laughs> right, yeah. And he <laughs> rises with a torn shirt and just becomes, like, a literal, like, immediately Ash Williams-level badass. Yeah, right.
1: And we get some generic, boring, tough music playing yeah. in the background.
0: And, and he starts to kill them one by one.
1: Yeah. Oh, another, another thing I wrote down when he's hitting them, he says he, he has a shovel at one point. And he says,
0: I like the shovel. <laughs> he gets real attached to it, too, because then later he loses it for a point. He's like, Chandy, go get the shovel. Yeah, get my <laughs> shovel. <Yeah. laughs> all right. Oh uh, so. Yeah, but he's kicking ass, taking names, saving uh-huh. the day. Yep. Uh, Noah and Chandy manage to make it outside. They all kind of link up. And Noah decides that their only recourse to escape the creepers is to go back into the marsh. Because they're afraid of it. Because they're afraid of it. And they're just going to take their chances. Even
1: though we see them in it in a couple of
0: minutes. And this is one of those painful <laughs> moments because it's like uh, Troy and Chandy even try to get him to explain right the, the deal about the marsh and it's like he just doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. You gotta give us
1: more than that. I'm sorry.
0: So just, so they start shit. making their way out there but there's one ill and determined creeper left mm-hmm. that comes after them.
1: Oh! We cannot pass up the slow country-like ballad that plays oh, yeah, yeah, whilst yeah. they are walking for a few minutes. True. Completely out of place. Yeah. I don't know what kind of a mood they were trying to evoke. <laughs> that would have been fine at the beginning yeah. of a movie, but this is supposed to be the climax and mm-hmm. suspenseful, and it's like,
0: seriously, it's yeah. like a country ballad. Or even like when Troy is first driving. Right. Like if that's like on the radio or sure. something. And yeah, that's fine. There's some like driving, establishing. Which that's another thing too, is it's, it's very like, the way it's shot, it's very tight. Like we never get any like wide shots oh, no. of like yeah. region it's or all like like uh, close ups and, very yeah, very like close, clouds. very tight on everything. Yeah. Um there's no sense of like where this is. No, none whatsoever. I, I think that was for the budget, but you know, is what it is. Yeah. Uh so we get our final showdown. Uh Troit and Noah kinda try to tag team this guy and beat him because he's really, really relentless, really mm-hmm. ruthless.
1: Mm-hmm. Um something
0: pulls Noah
1: under the water? Yeah. I don't know if it's Dianoga. I don't know what's going on here. We don't see
0: anything. <laughs> um, but they kill the creeper. Something takes Noah. It's uh, Alluded that that's whatever was out in the marsh. Uh-huh. And and
1: we don't see Noah anymore. He's gone. Yeah, he's gone. It's done. It's Troy and Chandy. They're standing around the marsh, and it begins to bubble around them. And he says, this can't be good.
0: And then, it, and then the movie just fucking yeah, ends. Smash cuts. Gonna have to hit that sequel if you want to know. Oh, mm. uh, I do like the credits. I think they're kind of fun. Like they have the big, like block letter names and stuff. And yeah, it, it, it's
1: very like wannabe Rob Zombie, Tarantino, Grindhouse yeah. kind of thing.
0: Uh, and then that's when they got the funny stuff. Like they have the house credited as a character yeah, and the girl's ass, the girl's ass. <laughs> uh, which hey, I mean it's, I mean, it's yeah. ass. I'm not saying I'm not saying it doesn't deserve respect. <laughs> um, apparently that. Pre- Actress Lauren Francesca. In the notes and everything I was reading, she's like a YouTuber or something. Really? I don't do YouTubes, so I didn't know her, but. Yeah, there are some good YouTubers out there, my friend. I know. Okay. The, the one where it's like a personality, I don't follow any of those, so I don't. What do you mean by personality? Where it's like a person and you're just. Oh, like an influencer
1: type thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, no, I'm, I'm with you on that. Yeah,
0: so. Uh, okay. Uh, good actress, though. I thought she was good in this film, so. So that is. That is muck. That is muck. Okay. Now buckle up, my friend. Now
1: you've, you've got the lowdown on this movie. I, I got jack squat.
0: Let me take you on a journey. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the whole goal with this film was to be this old school throwback. Only practical effects. No CGI. They used that to market the film. I respect it. Um, the director, Steve Walsh, he had an interview where he said uh, his whole like impetus behind this was that he wanted to direct actors and make a film he didn't want to direct computers okay Uh, and in fact he shared a hand in designing a lot of the stunts and the stunt props himself Uh, he crafted a lot of the trick axes and pitchforks that they used in the movies Um, there's the scene where it's uh, when Mia impales the dude on the pitchfork Mm. and it like spews blood onto her that was a whole thing where they had set up like a fire extinguisher full of blood to Mm. then like eject the blood at high velocity interesting It's pretty cool um, there's a weird connection with like the whole like playmate angle with this guy and I don't know what it is but he's perf <laughs> he, he's super he super makes the deal out of Jacqueline Swedberg and we we're, were saying there's these other films I'm going to get to the other films but um for the prequel a lot of stuff got marketed on the fact that he had cast um Playmate of the year 2013, Raquel Pomplin, and 2014, Kennedy Summers, to star in it.
1: Okay, for the prequel that has not materialized, correct? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat>
0: um, so, And we'll get into the Kickstarter in a minute, but a lot of the Kickstarter marketing, too, leaned on the fact, like, oh, we've got these Playmates in the film. Sure. I don't... Does that, does that entice you, Jason, if I tell you, like, I made this movie and it's got some Playmates in it, or...? <sighs> Nothing against Playmates. <laughs> at all. Yeah. Um, it's a... I mean...
1: It could be seen as an intentionally retro thing to do. Yeah. Because that's kind of an 80s thing. Right, you know, right. And starring, you know, Playboy Bunny, Playboy bunny, so-and-so. Yeah. But I think in this day and age, it's kind of... Even if that's, like, the tone you're going for, <laughs> yeah. like an exploitation tone, it's a little... Uh.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm there with you. Okay. Um, some fun ancillary things. So the surround sound for this film was mixed at Universal Studios sound facilities during the weekends. And they frequently would get bumped and have to delay their production because at the same time, Universal was working on Fast and the Furious 6. <laughs> um, and this was, I don't know where this note comes from. I think I pulled this note from like IMDb. So take this with a grain of salt yeah. because this could just be uh, Steve Walsh on there <laughs> entering sure. information. Right. As I've often joked on some films, but um, no. apparently, allegedly, let's say allegedly, allegedly. Um, the head of the sound department was so impressed when he saw Muck that he offered to mix it personally, free of charge. Okay. So I don't know if that's just some like mythos yeah. building for this film, but... Yeah. Uh, some other fun stuff. Like, Of course, they hooked Kane Hodder to be one of the Creepers, which is a big deal. Well, if you can get Kane Hodder, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, they also leaned heavily on that in the marketing, of course. Of course. Anyone's going to... Uh, his makeup took six hours to complete each day, and it was designed to incorporate the natural scarring that he has into his design as a character. Okay,
1: I do not think his makeup
0: is successful. Mm, it's okay. It's not his best. Um, let's see. This film had a lot of dangerous stunts, high-impact falls, full-body burns, backaway walls, walls, uh, glass explosions, the car flip, all kinds of blood effect. And almost all of these stunts had to be executed in a single take due to their budget and shooting schedule, so that's that's commendable. I sure. Um, and on that note, uh, when interacting with the Screen Actors Guild, they told Walsh that the film was considered to be in their top five most dangerous scripts they had ever come across. And they, when he was like, you know, casting people for the film, they told them they had a lot of concerns for the actors' safety both for the stunts they were trying to do as well as the location shooting in Cape Cod in the marshes with the cold weather and whatnot. Okay. Uh, speaking of that, it was shot entirely on location in Cape Cod, entirely at night. Um, it was a 19, a series of 19 grueling all-night shoots and they had to deal with everything, the elements, extreme cold, bugs, animals, wandering into the set, everything. Sure uh let's see what other fun notes do i have the film has a wall-to-wall score and walsh said this was by design he envisioned that each character would have their own particular sound or motif or theme which i think is not conveyed well in the film and it's just this dude blowing out his ass yeah and it's okay my dude i get it i understand (laughs) but yeah um that was not successful no um the effects and makeup were done by creature effects artist ben bornstein couldn't source him to a lot, but I'm not very knowledgeable on effects guys, so that's ring a bell. not really my area. Um, uh, so, we, again, the city we're in is West Craven, which is a nod to West Craven, of course. Mm. But um, it's a, it is a fictional town, and it was built out of the communities of Dennis and West Dennis in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, let's see. This was the first horror film to have a world premiere at Hugh Hefner's private screen room at the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> that makes sense. So again, that whole thing. Um... Apparently Walsh owns the house that's in the film. And he kind of wrote the script built around the house. Is the thing. Okay. Um, it was shot on Red Epic in 4K Ultra HD. And apparently it was colored and finished for the Master in Da Vinci Black Magic. So a lot of... And well, edited
1: with the hatchet. <laughs> a hatchet. Lot, a lot of
0: technical uh, stuff there in the, the background. Um, and then I think I'll go to this before I circle back to the Kickstarter, because that's kind of its own thing. Okay. So how did this film do when it released? Uh, well, it polarized audiences and critics, uh, but somehow landed major distribution with Anchor Bay which that was when I popped in my Blu-ray and I saw the Anchor Bay logo come up, I was like, ah, <laughs> You know, they're kind of not a thing really now these days. Right, but, um, yeah. They used to be, I mean, Anchor Bay was it. Um, and so it's generally kind of, what praise it does gets, it gets it for being kind of a throwback to old school slashers and horror films. Uh, but most of the reviews are primarily negative at all levels, both on a technical level, as a, as a film, as a thing that can be enjoyed. It, it's... Yeah, again, I think I set it up last time. I said it's a uh, letterboxd thing. Average is like 1.5. Sure. Every friend I have is given a one or a half star. So yes.
1: It, it is not a good movie.
0: Ostensibly, <laughs> on a technical level, it is not a good movie. Uh, but yeah, there's this Kickstarter. So no, I want to get into this. And then we can finally wrap up this monster of an episode. <laughs> okay. Because uh, I think this is probably the first time we've covered a film that's got a Kickstarter. I can't think of one. Like we talked about the Dookie Doc. Right, Which is cool yeah. that Indiegogo crowdfunding thing, but it's not out yet, so we can't really Mm-mm. judge it. So yeah, this film was like mostly made, but they needed additional funding, and they turned to Kickstarter to get it. So they started it with a two hundred and fifty thousand baseline goal, and the idea was, hey, you're gonna you know pay into this to help fund the finishing of the film, and whatever we have left is gonna go into making its prequel, Muck, Feast of Saint Patrick which would lay out the first chapter in the eventual trilogy that would be made when it was all said and done. Okay. Uh, They offered a lot of crazy swag, especially for a thing like this that's just coming out of the blue to be like an indie slasher film. Mm -hmm. You could get muck panties. You could get a novelty shot glass of like Mia's body in the like underwear. Um, The like playmates and more attractive people of the cast, you could get a personalized vine sent to you where they said, hey, and... What's mm-hmm. up, I guess.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you can also pre-order the film on DVD or Blu-ray. Uh, and so in the end, it uh, finished in December 12th, 2014 with 832 backers raising $266,325. Okay. So they, they got their goal. They did it. We go on into 2015. The film got its release. Mm-hmm. Everyone got their stuff. Movie bombed. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but we've got this prequel coming, right? Because they funded it. So,
1: time goes. So, that was supposed to fund the prequel and, and Muck. It was but... supposed
0: to finish Muck and begin funding the prequel. Okay. okay. Mm. So, there, that's where we are. So, Muck comes out. It bombs. Mm-hmm. Whatever. They're not worried about box office. It's okay. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, they carry on. Obviously, making a film takes a long time. We know that. Sure. Um, so at least a couple of months. Kind of the next big major update on anything muck in the muckverse, So <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> Expanded muckverse. Um, in August of 2017, they posted an update on the Kickstarter that said that they had finished filming the prequel, and they were going to move into post-production.
1: 2017, you
0: said? 2017. Okay. Now, this Kickstarter was in 2014, mm-hmm. just to set that up. So they had been waiting, what, uh, three years to get to that point.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's now 2023. We'll,
0: we'll get there. <laughs> okay. We're going. All right, okay. Um, so that happened. After that, there was kind of radio silence. There was never any more updates. Not the director's radio silence. No. Okay. <laughs> um, and there were no formal updates to the Kickstarter until April 1st, 2021. Okay. Four so years later. Four years later, yeah. Radio silence. <laughs> maybe he like was posting on Twitter, or maybe they have a Discord. I don't sure. know. I didn't go that deep on it, but right. on the Kickstarter page, they did not post an update for four years. Now... I don't know how much we want to talk about Kickstarter really quick, but as someone myself that uses Kickstarter a lot and backs a lot of projects, I think it's cool. I think it's cool to manifest people's ideas like that. Sure. Um, To me, this is a big no-no. Because even if you have production trouble or delays in whatever you're doing, you should still be giving regular updates, yeah. even if your update is just to say, hey, we're working on it and right. we don't have anything to show you. but
1: Yeah, at least have some behind-the-scenes photos um, or something throwing you yeah. out there, you know?
0: So, ooh, if you're asking me, that's a big no-no on a Kickstarter. um, Extremely. Then here's what happens. This update on April 1st, 2021, they state... I'm assuming this is Walsh, the director, because he's the one that ran the Kickstarter. Um, There's been a lot of drama and a lot of twists and turns in making this movie. Uh, It's still coming out. It's almost done. They're 90% through post-production. Okay. 2021. 2021, 90% through post-production. Okay. No further updates were posted. Until January 5th, 2023, nearly two years later. Okay. Must <laughs> to we'll set that up again. 90% through post-production. Two years later, there's an update. All right. This update was to say, the film's coming out this year. It's coming out imminently. But they had to clarify a few things. The Muck prequel had morphed and changed into its own thing, now titled Kill Her Goats. So to be clear on that, they clarified this is not the prequel to Muck that they originally built. But it is set in the Muck universe and is considered, quote, a Muck tale. Okay. Okay. I'm looking at the poster right now on IMDb. At the same time, they started another Kickstarter. A supplementary Kickstarter for Kill Her Goats. Not to fund the movie because the movie was done... This was to fund a sort of boutique VHS release of the film. Because, you know, there's this whole thing now of like retro retro VHS things, a a deal now. And they're like, we want this movie to be on VHS too, because... uh." (laughs) It looks like shit, but, you know, okay, Um, whatever. And so it acted as kind of a pre-order for the movie and some swag like shirts and blah, blah, blah. And and to help fund the production of a VHS run of the film. Mm -hmm. So that funded successfully February 1st, 2023... With uh 322 backers, big drop-off from the first one, uh, they raised $23,555 for a 10000 baseline goal.
1: Okay, so he's still getting people to invest. Yes. Okay,
0: um, but not as many. So the film was finished, the film was released, they got their VHS thing. You can go to their website now and buy that. It's out. I don't think it's actively streaming anywhere. You can maybe rent it places... Um, but they have a website for the film, and you can go there and you can buy it in several different versions. Um, and that's the story of this weird Kickstarter that was tied into this film. And so now I want to pose a question to you, Jason. Yes, um we'll get into our thoughts on muck in a second, and mm-hmm. I think it's clear if you've listened this far and haven't turned us off yet. uh, you understand that in some ways, I am favorable toward this movie <laughs> in in some ways. You did bring it. I mean, it I, is did, your I pick. did pick it. Um, and so my question to you is: Pretending that you are someone that would have backed this Kickstarter, yes, because you like the idea of it, and you're like, yes, yes, I want a throwback slasher with a lot of nudity and blood and practical gore. Sure. And that sounds cool. I want it. Mm-hmm. Was this ethical? This what, what happened here? Like, not at all. Super delay, and then they turned it into a different movie. Yeah. That's no, it's, it's not. It's weird, all. right? It's odd because like there's not a lot of action on their Kickstarters as far as like the comments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really saw anyone complain about it. Now, I don't know if that's like they're going through and deleting comments or what. But right. It just seems really weird. Yeah, they could easily go in and delete anything. It, it's, it's weird, right? It's weird. It's not ethical. It's not right. They, they funded a prequel in 2014. It took till now to make it and it only got made because they changed it into a completely different thing.
1: Yeah, I, I looked at the trailer with the sound off. It's been playing here. and it's, it's
0: got Playmates in it. I'll tell you that. And it
1: looks like the same house, same locations.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, I will tell you this. I did some research on the film because I was curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also riskily spent my own money to go buy the Blu-ray. I don't have it yet, but it's coming. Maybe. We'll, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> uh, no, people have them. I've seen pictures. Oh, they're actually, people, okay. Yeah, it, right. it exists and it, is a it thing. It does actually exist. in real um, life. It's set in West Craven. And it has lore that builds on the lore of West Craven as a location. The lore that doesn't exist the at lore, all. The lore that doesn't exist <laughs> except in this guy's mind, I guess, where he can see Some the Some scribbled cocktail napkin. Um, so I don't know if it will tell us anything more about Muck, but it's a Muck tale in the Muck universe. Uh, it's got this goat dude. Yeah, Goatface. And, Goatface, is yeah, that his, is his name? name? And he's played by Kane Hodder. Looked pretty cool, I thought. Uh, good to give him a costume this time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it looks like a lot of the same thing. It's a, You got a slasher killer running around, often people. He's got a chainsaw, which is kind of cool. Yeah,
1: I'm seeing girls um, jiggling around in the trailer. You got
0: girls skimpily dressed, jiggling around, running around in their underwear. Um, it's kind of the same dig again.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it couldn't just be that prequel that he promised yeah. and people paid for.
0: You know, I think what bothers me the most is even though it doesn't matter, I want to know what the thing is. What's the thing in the marsh? You know, like, for real.
1: I have a feeling you're not going to find out with this movie.
0: I don't think so. So that is this movie. We've exhausted all that we can say about it other than our final thoughts. Uh-huh. Now, how do you want to do this? Should I go first because I brought it, or... Uh, Yeah, you go first. Okay. So, it's a weird movie. <laughs> even, even by the standards of as a person that likes weird movies, it's weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, I appreciate their commitment to practical effects. I think that's easy to overlook when there's so many other things wrong about this film, but like that's, that's a real commitment to make with a low budget and then to stick to it and to generally do it. And I wouldn't say there were any gore gags that like looked bad or that gave me pause to be like, well, that's stupid. Um, The only weird things were narrative things like that car flip. Yeah. Editing narrative. Uh, But the actual stunts are great. I think. I liked a lot of those.
1: Yeah, they're acceptable.
0: Um, I also appreciate their intention that they wanted this to be a throwback. Mm -hmm. The sheer amount of nudity, of like these cheesecake moments. It's so over the top. I'm sure plenty of people have watched it and immediately turned it off because they're just like, fuck this. I'm not down for this. Um, But I remember the first time I watched it, that kind of impressed me, especially at that time. Mm -hmm. Compared to other slasher movies that were coming out around that time. That kind of impressed me. Okay. And this is a random reference to make. But um, it gave me this like nostalgic enjoyment because it made me go back to again like your kids and you're renting movies at the video store, and there was an age as we matured where it was always a question of but how many how much boobs are you going to see in oh, this movie? I, I, absolutely. Um, you you know this, Jason. I'm you know a child this. of the '80s. I um, know this. We can all deny it now because we're older and we know better. But that was a thing <laughs> I'm that not existed. Denying it and I, happened. I admit it. Um, and you know this film would be like if this was the film that you picked up off the shelf oh, you hit the fucking jackpot, dude, like, <laughs> yeah. shit. And then you're telling all your friends, oh, you got to go rent muck. Mm-hmm. got to check it out, man. Yeah. They got a playmate in it. <laughs> um, and so for even making me remember that a little bit, I kind of applaud them just a little bit because okay. that's that's such a weird, specific memory to, like, pull on nostalgically, okay? Um, which is cool. And again, I think I already mentioned it, but I appreciate that they're kind of equal opportunists. There's plenty of shirtless dude in this film, too, if you dig that um it's very disjoined like there's a lot of like they kind of wants to do the meta scream thing it kind of wants to do the throwback thing um i do like that the little scream part they kind of subvert everything that billy lays out nothing goes the way he thought it would yeah uh which is interesting um kane hodder's great i think he's royally underutilized no big time they really should have leaned into him more especially if they had him I don't know if they could only have him for a little bit or something, sure. or, or what the deal is. But um, I don't know why that makeup took six hours. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, um, but he looks great. He's awesome in every moment he's in. He gets that one great kill in the steps with the axe, which mm-hmm. is brutal. Um, characters are weird. Troy, you know, the Giga Chad, capital <laughs> G, Troy. capital C. I'm calling it today, um, it's he's so fucking weird, and then he becomes the protagonist. He he becomes the action guy at the end. He survives. Um, He got problematic written all over him. At the same time, you're just kind of stunned to even see him continuing to exist in this film. (laughs) Yeah, It's weird. It's weird, but it's kind of fun in a weird, bad way. (laughs) Um, Hate everything about the whole trilogy aspect. I think if you're a new filmmaker and you don't know what you're doing that much... Yeah, it's obnoxious. I I think you should have tried to make one good film... And then go from there if it works. At least
1: make your one good film standalone.
0: Yeah. Uh, because this film is really weighted by the fact that there's supposed to be another movie before it that we should have spent learning that core cast yeah. that we never get, which hurts it in one way. And then we've got this creature, this entity, this monster. Uh, we don't know what it is,
1: but we don't see it or anything. We don't know anything.
0: Uh, but part of the crux of this whole film, I'm going to go back to the synopsis. Trapped between two evils, forcing them to fight, die, or go back the way they came. Now we as viewers don't even really understand that because we don't know yeah. that first film. Right. And I think that, that hangs over the movie for the entire runtime, and mm-hmm. then you never get a satisfying payoff with it. Right. And then ostensibly, if it is a trilogy, and we're going into that third film, now it's Troy and Chandy. And so we don't even have a connecting point, really, yeah. to whatever the first thing was. Unless Noah's not dead or something, and he yeah. shows back up. Yeah, some, some twists. But, I mean, twist. we're not going to see another movie. We're not going to see a sequel to this. Probably not, right? So so here's the... I get to the conclusion. So, is this a good film? If we're talking technically, I think no. It, mm. it can't be a good film. No. It's just the editing's all over the place. the The music choices are weird. There's awkward dialogue. There's nonsensical plot points that clearly weren't intended for any purpose, but happened. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, (laughs) I think there are admirable elements to this film. Uh There's cool moments, there's neat kills. Whether it was meant to or not, there's a lot of funny parts. Like, I I was deeply laughing through a lot of this film. Um, And then, you know, uh, hang me out to dry on it, I guess. But yeah, it does also help that the central cast is all super attractive. And a lot of the runtime, you've just got ladies running around in their underwear. Nothing wrong with that. Um, And that's kind of the goal of the film, I think. And it didn't aspire to be anything greater. It's not trying to be the next Silence of the Lambs. Mm -hmm. It it wanted to be this kind of raunchy throwback slasher. And it set out to do that, and it did that. Now it's not a good one, (laughs) but it is one. Uh And on some level, I want to love it for that, but it is not that good. So all that said, I'm going to give it three stars. Three stars. Okay. Which is probably one of the more generous ratings you will ever find for the film. It's very generous. Um,
1: yeah, it's, it didn't work for me. I, yeah. I mean, I, 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 like you, I, I like where I guess its heart is at, at yeah. the whole throwback.
0: Its heart know. is in the right place.
1: No CGI. We're going to do this for real. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the, the, uh, the raunchy aspects. I appreciate mm-hmm. the exploitation aspects. That's age-old... Showmanship, right there, you know. But it's just not. It doesn't come together for me, right. you know. I mean, there are, there are parts I'm laughing, but I don't. I'm not laughing with the movie. I'm laughing at the movie. Yeah. You know. And I don't think that's what the director intended. Probably not. No. I don't know. I don't know what's going on half the time, and I don't mind a movie that's big and doesn't have to explain things. If, if anything, oh, yeah. that's the problem with a lot of movies—they over-explain the bad guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you need a little bit more than what you're given here. Right. We can't even understand their plight. Yeah. Really. I don't know if these pill dudes are. This force in the swamp i got to be told about because I'm not seeing anything. <laughs> there's way too much, you know, tell and not mm-hmm. showing. Um, I mean, there's just no story here. Right. There's no here, here. And none of the kills really stuck out to me as being cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Like nothing I haven't seen a hundred times already. Uh, I appreciate that it was practical. You know, I, I'm I'm down on that. No awful CG blood. I'm down on that.
0: Oh, and we should say uh, "Kill Her Goats." It's also marketed on that same thing. It's all yeah. practical effects, right? Same deal.
1: Which, in theory, I love. I'm all about that. Mm-hmm. But you still, you gotta have the story and you know the the talent to back that up with. That's to be a truly great one. That's that's your Nightmare on Elm Street. That's your Halloween. Even to be moderately enjoyable, there has to be. I just I don't think this guy's very talented. Oh. I think that's the problem. Um, The the editing is pathetic. It's terrible. (laughs) There's no, like, interesting shots. It's all very, you know... It's like I said, there's a lot of tight shots. You might get a master every now and then to establish something.
0: Which I did notice that about the Kill Her Goats trailer. One of the first things you get is they used a drone to get, like, a big, wide establishing shot of, like, the, the Cape Cod area. Yeah. So I was like, they've at least learned. Everybody's using the drones yeah. now for that, and that's that's
1: great. That's fine. That's you know, a tool.
0: That was part of what made me even say, okay, I'll I'll gamble on <laughs> buying your movie a, a second time. But I, I just I think
1: I think everything is like the script, the editing, the directing, the music, the acting. It's amateurish at best and yeah. competent at worst.
0: I I got big like first time student oh, film yeah. vibes.
2: Yeah,
1: I, I mean credit where credits due. They made a movie. Mm-hmm. They got it done. Cool. A lot of people don't even accomplish that. That's great. Right. But it doesn't mean I want to watch it.
2: <laughs>
1: <You know? laughs> and I, I, I can't even really enjoy it on a so bad it's good kind of level. Because mm. it just it, it frustrated me the whole time through. Mm. It, it's a very frustrating watch for me. Mm. Like when I don't even know where characters are in relation to each other <laughs> and, and why I should care about these people's predicament when I don't know who they are, where they are, what
0: got them into this predicament to begin with. You know, speaking I, of that too, we, we glossed over this because it doesn't fucking matter. But the, the part when Noah's coming back to the house on his return trip, he gets to a graveyard and they do this whole thing where he like pauses and he's like nervous and right. wor- worried about going through the graveyard. And it's like, but why? Is that a yeah. reference to the prequel that doesn't exist? And there's nothing. Or... Nothing happens. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And, it's, and that's another thing about the whole spatial relationships. It's like he seems so close to town, they all could have just walked yeah, yeah. To town and been fine.
0: That was a thought I had the first time and I like, watched it. And like, why that. didn't he
1: call the police? Yeah. They've got people missing, his friends bleeding out. <laughs> he doesn't call the cops. And And when Troy finally shows up, he says something about, oh, I should have called the cops. Yeah, no fucking shit, motherfucker. You know, it's
0: just. And then in the start, too, Billy argues about that because he says, hey, go call the cops. And they're like, we can't call the cops. We broke in this house.
1: Yeah, I think people would overlook that. That's really. That's a very weak excuse to not call the police. (laughs) So it's just it's too irritating for me to really enjoy. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm afraid I I have to side with those one star people. Okay. this is a one star movie for me.
0: I would never fight you on it. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. so.
1: I'm glad you got more enjoyment out of it than I did, but it was just.
0: Uh, too frustrating. So definitely, definitely, if you have seen Muck or are somehow tempted to go watch it after this episode, <laughs> uh, write in and let us know what you think. I'm glad we did it just to. I think it made an interesting discussion. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. We have had some fun talks. Uh huh. Um, And, you know, it is one that doesn't come up too much, so. So we did it. We sure did. You know, other podcasts, what they're doing, you know, great movies like uh, Silence of the Lambs (laughs) or all the classics, you know, but (laughs) you you come to genre exposure, you get muck. You get muck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So that that brings us to, uh, we're going to have our next film. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do something a little different for this one. Yeah, what are we doing? I'm not going to announce the film right now. How are people going to know what to watch? We will release it through the social medias. And probably when this episode goes out, I'll have it in the show notes. Um, I feel like I jinx this every time I do this, but I'm going to do it. We will have a special guest next time. <laughs> yes. And they are bringing our movie for discussion. So Okay. Uh, look forward to that. Keep an eye on all the socials, and we shall make sure people know so that you can get at that if you want to watch it first. Now, is our special guest Steve Walsh, and is he bringing Kill Her Goats? <laughs> Well, after you just fucking savaged him, I, I doubt it. And I, I'm sorry, Steve, if you listen to this and are somehow still listening. Hey, that's um, how I feel,
1: man. You know,
0: I'm two for two buying your movies, and I saw that you have a third one, and I may also purchase it as well. So that's what I'm gonna say. Hey,
1: he got a movie made.
0: Yep. So props to. What him. do I know? I haven't made a movie. So keep an eye out for what's coming next. It's going to be a slasher. Jason, you're going to bring us home on that whole thing with the final one. So no pressure. Yeah, no I, pressure. I set the bar nice and low for you with muck. <laughs> um, this has been a fun episode. Super fun. Super great. Love talking about slashers. Write in. Let us know what you've been watching. Send us film recommendations. Send us your like slasher deep cut. Yeah. Even, even if we don't do it for this block as a listener episode, mm-hmm. I want some. I know there's yeah. some I haven't seen. I love slashers. There's always more. They're great. And there's always ones that are really great you never find so send us your your little ones that you champion that's not just out there well known nice Um, you can find us on Facebook on Twitter on Instagram you can email us directly at genre exposure at gmail.com get in those listener suggestions because we're going to start giving out stickers for them you know you want a sticker you know you want a sticker it's going to be cool they're coming in the mail (laughs) anytime now (laughs) Um yeah, I guess that's man I'm just I'm mucked out, man. <laughs> like this is I'm so mucked uh, up. How right do now. I do outros now? We, we talked about our things and email us. yeah Just just come back <laughs> yeah, and join hey, us for the mystery movie. Hey man, you've been listening to fucking genre exposure. <laughs>